You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Wednesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today, I've got Tom Peavy and Cam Berry with me, T.P. Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls for this full three-hour show on this Wednesday. Coming up today, we'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. That will be at 3.30. We'll have Joe Bartle of Rotowire. That will be at 5.15. He'll talk some fantasy football with us. And, of course, with Ferg, we'll talk Auburn football and Auburn basketball. Final thoughts on the Iron Bowl, a look ahead towards what might be ahead in bowl season for the Tigers, and also some Auburn basketball, which we'll also talk about in great detail today as Auburn gets set for their ACC-SEC Challenge bout with Virginia Tech inside of Neville Arena tonight in the 8 o'clock hour. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Again, we'll also talk some Auburn football, talk recruiting, talk transfer portal. Uh, We'll, again, discuss some of the college football playoff rankings and implications we've gone over before but again we've arrived at conference championship week so definitely need to go over them so we'll talk a little bit of everything today on this wednesday edition of the show and again if you want to give us a call today 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine ryan cam and tom with you here on this wednesday edition of the program also want to mention go ahead and make sure i hit on this i said earlier this week we would be having two short shows that being tuesday and thursday uh, as is the nature of sometimes high school sports at basketball baseball softball etc sometimes things get moved around so we will now have full shows the rest of the week we will not have a shortened show on thursday as the schedule changed up a little bit on us so again we'll be be with you for the full three hours the next three days here to take you up until all the conference championship games this weekend and with that we begin today's show tom peavy how are you today i'm doing great uh yeah like i said the other day this, this is usually my getting the day started so uh yeah here i am good morning good morning and what a morning it started up <laughs> pumping gas and Young lady next to me accidentally sprays gas all in her face, and so I have to go from normal citizen mode to firefighter mode and get her taken care of, get an ambulance there to get her eyes flushed out and all. Mm. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to start my day. Fantastic. But, uh, hey, but I was there. Hey, you made a bigger impact right on society place, right than, than I did. There you go. I, so. I just happened at the right place at the right time, was able to get her taken care of. So, uh, yeah, heck of a way to start the day, but... Uh, doing great. Um, keep an eye on all this transfer portal stuff and seeing. Uh, obviously, a big name uh, that announced was Grayson McCall. Uh, announced yep. that he's transferring as a graduate uh, transfer. A huge Auburn target 
uh, a year ago when he was in the transfer portal and then was not able to transfer to wherever and ended up back at Coastal, and now he's back in the transfer portal. So I would imagine he's going to be another target Auburn's going to look at. So, But, yeah, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff to talk about. Cam Berry joining us today on this Wednesday. Cam, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Uh, I mean, aside from the Hawks getting blown out by the Cavs last night in the last game of the in-season tournament, or the last, like, however that goes with the in-season tournament, um, or qualifier, I guess, is what it would be called technically. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Um, just ready to talk a bunch of basketball with you guys, Auburn basketball, obviously, and um, talk some transfer portal stuff, like Tom had mentioned, Grayson McCall, big name. Max Johnson going immediately from that was uh, quick. Yeah, I mean that was fast. Texas A&M straight to straight to North Carolina. So uh, they they've got what seems like their next quarterback uh, already locked in. Obviously with Drake May probably going to be in the draft. So uh, you, you gotta gotta find the next next contingency plan. So um, very curious to see uh, you know who Auburn goes for and targets in in this transfer portal window. And um, yeah, but I, I'm excited to talk a lot of a lot of this stuff with you guys. Yes, sir. So let's get going. And again, a lot of the conversation right now is about transfer portal. And normally, we would like to wait a little bit longer after a season concluded. Uh, you know, while the let the body cool down a little bit uh, before we get to uh, all the transfer portal stuff. But there's just so many quarterbacks that are already hitting the portal. Tom and I talked about it. A little bit yesterday, yesterday's versions of it was Cam Ward and Riley Leonard and Will Rogers. Those are some of the guys mentioned. Uh, uh, Will Howard at Kansas State. Well, now, uh, officially, K.J. Jefferson in the portal. Um, rumored that South Carolina might be the destination there. Yeah. Uh, and then Grayson McCall, cool. obviously playing football in the state of South Carolina right now. But for Coastal Carolina... As Tom mentioned, an Auburn target from last year who then decided to go back to Coastal, now re-entering the portal officially this year. Uh, So the quarterback mayhem continues. And, guys, it makes me think about how we typically – you know, just the system of how we're going to end up judging coaches and how it continues to evolve because it – for the longest time, it was about recruiting players, developing players. Uh, and then it got into, yes, you could get into the transfer world a little bit, not, not necessarily portal, but you get a transfer here and there uh, that, that would matter. You go JUCO route, you go that sort of stuff. Now it is becoming very dynamic, and some can build with college. Some can at least um, include a lot of portal, if not in number, maybe in value of the couple of guys. Uh, that you do get or a few guys you do get. And you're going to be started to be increasingly more graded upon if you make the correct decision in the portal with who to target at the most important position, which is quarterbacks. So for teams that decide on quarterbacks that have a need, uh, you're going to now, instead of be judged on the development of your quarterbacks, right? We always used to discuss on this show if Gus Malzahn was doing a good or poor job of developing quarterbacks. Now it seems, and and look, Hugh Freeze might get Walker White here and he might be a three-year starter. I mean, I I don't know. But it's also possible that if at least not here and at least some places, 
you're going to be increasingly judged by what kind of transfer portal quarterback you got time in, time out. If you are South Carolina and you do end up with K.J. Jefferson, well, that's on the heels of having Spencer Rattler, who was, of course, a two-year transfer from Oklahoma. So they will not have had their own starting quarterback in in quite some time if if they do land K.J. Jefferson. Obviously with Auburn, having Peyton Thorne this year, having a mix of uh, T.J. Finley and Robbie Astrid last year, those are all transfer portal guys. And now we're talking about the implication that Auburn is going to at least chase some of these guys, and if they land one of them would be heavy favorites to start next year, uh, as opposed to Walker White, who would have to start as a true freshman. So I'll start with you today, Cam, because Tom and I discussed a little bit of it, and this was, of course, pre-Grayson McCall. Right. But I do find it very important to try and rank some of these guys and their fits to Auburn or just their overall ability because – Auburn might very well be selecting their quarterback for next year out of this pool of players and quarterbacks, and and it's important to try to figure out the pecking order. So, again, here's here's the names that are either in the portal or very strongly suggested to be entering the portal. Uh, and so we'll try and get to the relevant six or seven here. So, again, today, K.J. Jefferson, uh, who, again, likely to South Carolina, but K.J. Jefferson, Grayson McCall, and days past Will Rogers, also, Will Howard of Kansas State, the belief that Cam Ward is going to hit the portal out of Washington State, and the belief that Riley Leonard out of Duke is going to hit the portal. So six guys, you don't necessarily have to rank all six, but at least give me your top two or three of those group. Yeah, I, I definitely think Grayson McCall, with, with him uh, making the move and, and officially leaving, I think Auburn's going to give him a call. I don't see why. It seemed like he was the main target. Um, for for Hugh Freeze last season and, and uh, academics really blocked that and that's why he ended up returning back to Coastal Carolina now that he's a grad transfer obviously those issues no longer are there so that gives uh, Grayson the opportunity to potentially come here so I think he might be the top target it, definitely up there um, Cam Ward strikes me as interesting I don't know as much about him I really have not seen him play um, just from what I've kind of read about him uh, I mean he's, he's pretty good and pretty popular so um, could be could be an interesting one um, and, and then you know Riley Leonard uh, I mean Riley Leonard um, Will Howard Will Rogers kind of like are all the same to me um, just kind of like strike me as this the same. I mean, I mean they're all the same quarterback in my opinion. And I think they're all. I think Will Rogers is a little bit better than Will Howard and and um, and Riley Leonard. But in terms of just stylistically and things like that, I feel like they're relatively all three the same. Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably go Rogers one, um, uh, Howard two, and Riley three. Kind of like how I'm in that order maybe. Um, but the top two, I think, would probably end up being, and really just I, I know probably the number one option would be Grayson McCall. Um, I think there would be some interest maybe um, for Will Rogers. There there could be some just because, I mean, he is an accurate thrower. I know he had the injuries uh, issues kind of this year. But, you know, when he was in the air raid system with Mike Leach, I mean, he was slinging it all over the place. He was accurate and he was good. Uh, so there's there's no question that he has the ability to throw the ball. He's uh, he's been up there in the SEC in terms of leading and passing yards in years past. So 
uh, he, he definitely could be one to reach out to. So I would say Grayson McCall, and I think would I would think Will Rogers. I don't have I'm not sure there will be. Again, I know you you mentioned KJ Jefferson. I don't think there will be much interest for KJ. Uh, I I I don't see Auburn really reaching out to him. I don't think they really. Um, will love his skill set too much um, not to say that he's bad just I, I don't think he's going to be the top target for Auburn here Tom what about you another day to stew on it a couple mm-hmm. more names to put in there uh, it, you don't necessarily if you I know yesterday your stance was just kind of all of them were intriguing uh, and it was hard to, to rank them but that the need just the need is there and, and got to get somebody uh, is there anyone at the very top for you is there anyone that you would shy away from I mean again you don't have to pull through all six of them but just somebody that you would like to take out of the equation or someone that you would especially target uh i would especially target cam ward okay uh i i just i feel like that i i feel like that's a guy that so many teams are gonna go after i mean th- if th- the rumors are true that this many people have already offered him a million dollars and i've seen uh people talk about him uh wherever he goes being a quote-unquote instant contender well, then that's what you want. You want a quarterback that can make you an instant contender. Uh, I don't know that all the, that any of those others hold that much weight uh, from, from a respect standpoint. So I think Cam Ward is definitely uh, who I would go after. Uh, you talked me off the Riley Leonard thing because, see, I was, not, uh, I was not aware of how poor of a thrower yeah, Riley not, not Leonard was. I have, I, I have yeah. to say I have not watched a lot of Duke football. Right. Um, I know the name Riley Leonard. I know he's a very highly touted and respected quarterback. But he's I good have, for Duke, sure. And so, I think that's one I would shy away from uh, if because you're looking for a passer. Uh, I mean, that if you're just looking for a runner, then you've got that in Peyton Thorne. I mean, it's like you know, very minimal passing, just kind of enough to kind of get you by. But we're going to run the ball. Well, then Peyton Thorne did that perfectly fine. <laughs> so, I, you know. If if Riley Leonard is not going to substantially increase your output in the passing game, then that's a guy I don't think that they should target. Uh, whereas I think a guy like Cam Ward could definitely do that. Uh, right behind that, I would say Grayson McCall, just because he is proven. Um, it is smaller level football, but they have played some uh, some bigger teams, and he has shown that he can flat out throw the ball. And there's a reason that Auburn was hotly after him. Uh, a year ago so uh if i had to really just go with two right now i'd say cam ward would be num- my number one if he goes into the portal because he hasn't he hasn't even announced officially that right. he's doing that uh i really like what i've seen from cam ward um i learning about him watching some some of the highlights of him i, I really do like cam ward a lot and then grayson mccall a, a proven commodity and so uh, those have definitely been my two. And, and like I said, Riley Leonard, uh, you, you talked me off of that one. Yeah, I, like, again, I think that he is fine if you're wanting to do certain things. But if you're wanting to really increase the overall scope of the passing attack, I have my worries because, again, I'll, I'll give you the numbers. And, again, I understand that he was beat up this year. I understand in the seven games he played he didn't necessarily finish all seven uh, and there was lingering injuries there. But in the seven games he played, he threw 165 passes. So, okay, that, that's, what is that, 25 a game or something that the sample size we're working off of? 57.6%, uh, 1,102 yards, uh, which is 6.7 an attempt, uh, three touchdowns, three picks, right? And so that, that to me, 
it would be a little nervous to bring him in on, on top of what we you just lost saw. Me at fifty-seven yeah, percent, sure. Uh, so that would make me a little nervous compared to what we saw this year. And I understand that, you know, at Duke, you can make the argument that you're going to end up with better players at Auburn. But so far, I would tell you that Auburn's wide receivers the last couple of years have not been any better than Duke's wide receivers, to be qu- quite honest with you. So, yeah. uh, so I, again, I, I think that Riley would be a really good runner. Uh, and maybe you would hope that it's just this was just an injury-laden year for him because last year he was 63%, 20 TDs to six picks, 2,900 yards in 13 games. So, again, about, uh, what's that, 250 a game or something like that. It's good. It's fine. It's good. It's not a home run, though. Uh, I don't think that that's a home run. So I almost think that if Leonard came in here, it would be a comp- it would be a true competition. I would lean Leonard because why did you bring him in otherwise? But sure. but I would think he would have to compete for it. Whereas I think someone like you said, like Grace McCall or Cam Ward, would come here as the prohibitive favorite. Cam Ward slinging it for over three hundred yards a game at Washington State. Uh, you know, I, I know the team did not end up well, but. I would be far more tempted to compare him, and I know he's big right-hander versus a lefty, but the Penix situation in Indiana yep. where Penix was slinging it at Indiana, but Indiana had like a four- or five-win team his last yeah, year there. Yeah, team's off. Uh, so you can have that situation, uh, and especially you can believe that situation at Washington State uh, and then still look at the overall numbers and what he was doing and, and kind of be more more intrigued by that part of it. The thing about – I'll talk another one here. I, would, I wouldn't I would be as excited as maybe the overall consensus about Will Rogers. And the reason with Will Rogers is is I'm a little concerned he might be a system quarterback. Right. And he might be an air raid quarterback. And when yeah. they tried to tr- – tr- you know, when they tried something different this year, and again, I get it, he still was not healthy the whole year. He was only healthy the first half of the season, essentially. It was not looking the same. Uh, they, now, they did have a nice win against Arizona early in the year before Arizona found themselves and ended up being a top 25 team. Uh, so that's something. But, you know, there was a drop-off in production there. So I'm not, I'm not against it, but I do think that it's very possible you look back in hindsight if he goes somewhere that's not strictly air raid or, or quick passing and that sort of thing and say, oh, you know, actually this is why – he was successful. Like it, I, I don't know the teams for Will Rogers, but it would not shock me if he actually went to a group of five school that that ran air raid. Someone like Western Kentucky or something that slings it around forty or fifty times a game. It would not shock me if that's the ultimate move there. The other thing I'll say that I keep jumping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Cam Ward, when that report came out yesterday, and again, Tom said, I think we all said it. He's not in the portal yet, so this is just speculation that, hey, he's getting million-dollar offers, and Washington State's about to be technically in, in the a Mountain West alliance. He, there's going to be a lot of room for him to grow financially and competitively. These are the supposed schools that have already contacted him as of yesterday. Auburn's one. Oregon, Washington, Notre Dame, Texas A&M. Those are all very large schools. Uh, and we usually do offer sheet scouting with, with high school kids to yeah. help us determine the value there. But if you were unsure of a Washington State quarterback, when the likes of Oregon, Washington, Notre Dame, Texas A&M are joining Auburn in that pursuit, I think that's a pretty valuable guy. Also, are, those are teams, by the way, that have been dipping their toes foundly into the transfer portal, portal yeah. uh, for quarterbacks the last several years. Obviously, Oregon and Washington have Heisman candidates. Notre Dame took Sam Hartman. Uh, and so, you know, th- 
this this to me feels like okay if you if you had any hesitation on you know Pac-12 Washington State well Pac-12 was much better this year uh, and Washington State with Sam, uh, Cam Ward he was the only person that gave him a chance to win any of these games they did start four zero uh, before faltering at the end of the year but uh, you know he to me is, is my favorite I, I would I think McCall uh, would be a pretty solid get. Uh, and then I think it comes into a couple neutral parties uh, with the next group of guys. Will Howard was not someone we talked about, but he's been a successful college quarterback. Again, you would be, I, I think, in the same kind of vein as Riley Leonard. I think those two are similar. While I, I think Rodgers is not a runner, but a, a right. potentially a system passer, those two are the quality runners that add a little pass to it. And if you're wanting to fundamentally change how this year looked at the position, then I don't know if Howard's the best fit either. But he has had success as a college quarterback. You're more so going for, and I know this is going to make people say, no, actually, absolutely no, no, uh, no. You're going more for the, okay, Peyton Thorne had a great year two years ago. They won a lot of games. Will Howard has had good, successful teams, won a lot of games. But, again, his throwing numbers – are still that 58 60 percent completion range so you know they they all they all offer something uh there's nobody that i'm just absolutely not at i think that my least favorite would be kj jefferson i just think he's damaged goods yeah yeah Um, after after just the i mean the beating he took this year and i mean he does again he does some nice things too he's a hard runner it's he's a mammoth to bring down the problem is arkansas gave up like millions of sacks because it was every play but you know i i think that that would not be someone high on auburn's list and again will rogers would concern me just because i, I would be worried that he is a more of an air raid guy yeah um i i've never bought into the kj jefferson hype uh, i mean he's he's an uh, to me he's he was good for arkansas i thought he, i mean i yeah, thought he was an okay quarterback i don't know he's just a he's just He's just kind of there. He's a guy. I mean, he's, well, I good. Think he's he would, good. I'm not sitting here saying, I mean, like, oh, that guy's terrible. I mean, he was good. He just, I mean, it just, I don't know. There's just never really been anything about K.J. Jefferson that just jumps off at me. It's just like, oh, my gosh. It's like, if you put that guy in the right system, he'd be incredible. I, I don't know that. He just, he feels raw. He, he just, he, he feels very raw. So, I think, too, some of it is probably the perception of, of how they decline statistically and stats don't mean everything. I get it. Uh, 2021, he was 67.3%, 2,600 yards, 21 TDs, four picks last year, 2,636 yards, 26 TDs, five picks, 67%. So statistically it'd been going great for him this year. Took a little bit of a setback. That's not surprising. Everything in Arkansas did. They did change their system too. And he was down to 64% in 12 games, only three for 2,100 yards, uh, 19 TDs to eight picks. Uh, so statistically, he has worked out plenty fine. I think the concern there is that there's no room to grow uh, and that the ceiling kind of is the ceiling. And, again, it's a decent quarterback. You, you try to ask yourself, okay, just how much of it was their terrible offensive line this year, and Arkansas's right. offensive line was probably the worst in the SEC. 
uh, and that sort of thing. So, like, do I reserve the right to think that South Carolina is going to be in a, about the same place quarterback-wise next year as they were this year? Like, sure. I think I don't think K.J. Jefferson, if he goes to South Carolina, is going to inherently make South Carolina better or worse. I think it's going to be more about can their defense get fixed, can they get a running game, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, again, he's still – I agree, like, he's still a little lower on the list just because it kind of – it kind of seems like it, it's got a real ceiling on it. But, again, if you just wanted to look purely stats, and some people do, he would definitely be in the conversation. Uh, but, you know, being in the league for so long, not having a breakthrough of, of sorts would be, uh, you know, again, a, a very real ceiling to hit on. We're going to go ahead and take our first time out of the show. When we come back, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. We'll ask him his thoughts on the early transfer portal quarterbacks we'll also talk some iron bowl we'll also talk some auburn basketball with them you're listening to the wednesday edition of sports call on tiger Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, a Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. And now we go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line and we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today. Ferg, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Doing very well. And, of course, we've got a lot to discuss. We will start with not the absolute worst part of the Iron Bowl on Saturday. We'll start with just how the atmosphere was, Ferg. I know we always get the opportunity at the very end of these games to go down there. Where did that rank for you in terms of atmospheres and, and just games you've been a part of? Uh, it was a really good one. I mean, let's, I'm just going to be honest, the new – the press box being closed in, I mean, it just kind of sucks the, you know, life out of covering the game from in there. Um, but, you know, down on the field for the final few minutes, it was, it was as loud as, as, as it, as it can be. And it was really, really good. Um, it was a really good atmosphere for sure. And I mean, it's an iron bowl where Auburn's competitive. You you expect a, a show like that. Absolutely. And so to the game itself, uh, Auburn ran the ball as well as we've seen them do it all year long. What was working for them, and were you surprised that they were able to achieve that level of success after not really having that this year? Yeah, I was surprised because, I mean, not only did Auburn run the ball well, they did it without throwing the ball well at all. Um, You know, Peyton Thornton only completed a few passes and felt like, you know, this was not the team to be one-dimensional against. Uh, You go, you look at you look at Alabama this year, they had done a really good job against really good running backs, and Auburn had two running backs who did really well. Thorne ran the ball well as well. Um, really good blocking uh, up front. Guys are making good plays, and uh, it's special when you when you run against Alabama like that because just Auburn historically just does not do that. I mean, that, that could be 
they've run for over 200 yards in back-to-back years against Alabama. I, I think you got to go all the way back to when Bo Jackson was playing here the last time that happened. So, I mean, this is it's something that was pretty unprecedented, and, and it's one of those things where it was like kind of more of a missed opportunity for Auburn because you ran the ball so well and you did it without throwing it. It still came up short in this game. Uh, but, I mean, there is definitely a foundation here um, with Auburn's offense in the running game for sure. Uh, looking at the last play, uh, the thing that everybody wants to talk about, just your thoughts on, on what Auburn did defensively right there. Was it the right call? I mean, obviously the big debate. Was it the right call? Should they have rushed more people? How did they get in a one-on-one situation in the corner when you've got to prevent? Should they have had the guy at, the, at a spy when you knew he was not going to run? Just your general thoughts on the last play, how Auburn did with that. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it was – I think it was a call that if you're going to do it, you better run it perfectly. And Auburn didn't, um, you know, dropping eight in coverage really. Because I mean, the, the one big question I just still don't get is the spy. Right. Uh, you're spying there, guy's not going to run 31 yards, um, you know, to to try to score that touchdown. And even if he tried, he'd have to run through everybody. So that was a tougher one. I mean, two man rush just isn't going to do anything um, because, like, you know, five offensive linemen against two rushers. I mean, that's just that's never going to work. Um, you can have some of the best pass rushers in the game, and you're still probably not going to get home at that point. And so you were basically asking for, you know, kind of like defending it like a Hail Mary. Um, so you have to go back and read it and, and kind of just swat it down. Um, the problem is you gave, um, you know, Milrow enough time to kind of drive the ball. Uh, and he made a great throw, and Isaiah Baum made a fantastic catch and all that. But you look at it and – it's just a mistake. I mean, they they crossed up. You have three safeties in the end zone. They crossed up at one point, um, you know, inside, and two safeties went one way, and and, and instead of you know splitting out, and um, since they went the same way, it just left a one on one in the end zone. So, I think it was definitely a conservative call, and conservative calls like that can be definitely be questioned. Um, you know, if you're aggressive in that situation, uh, you have to tackle. You have to make those plays. So I get. I get the the thought process behind playing it safe, but when you play it safe, you got to play it. You know, got to play it well. And there, Auburn did not execute it uh, well at all. And, and Alabama came up with the uh, you know fantastic play on both ends uh, to, to to get the win. So, Justin, we get into some of the off season questions. Although there will be a bowl game to get to, we can get to that in just a second too. I mean, do you expect any major staff shakeups, or is that decision do you think maybe going to be made later in the off season? Just what do we expect with uh, with the current staff? I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think it's I think it's too early to tell anything one way or another. Um, I do know that recruiting is going to be kind of the push and usually when you see a lot of changes on your staff it happens kind of later um in in the process uh you still got a bowl game you know to to you know play for and all that so it's not like you're completely in offseason mode right now so i mean i'll be interested to see where auburn goes if there are any changes there are any shakeups but um you know i i wouldn't you know i don't think there's like this is this overwhelming pressing need for that right now Talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call and Ferg, when we look toward uh, the bowl game, obviously Auburn, with not enough SEC teams being bowl eligible, will avoid uh, the Birmingham Bowl, Gasparilla Bowl, those two lower lower tier bowls. Uh, I know it's kind of a crapshoot trying to figure out which bowl it'll be. Do you think Auburn has any preference in, in what of these group of six bowls that they, they could get into? Now, I don't know if you know, there's a preference. I think everybody's going to have their own opinion. Um, I think Auburn would be – 
you know, happy with something that's, you know, somewhat drivable. Um, I've seen the Texas Bowl, and that's probably the toughest one to get to. Um, and that one's just a couple of days after Christmas. So, I mean, that's a, that's a tougher trip to make. So you probably would want more of the Gator Bowl, Music City Bowl, you know, Mayo Bowl, that, that kind of range is probably a little bit better for Auburn. But, you know, I think, I think there's, you know, there's going to be a thought process that, you know, Auburn's going to, going to bring a crowd wherever. You just probably want one to be a little bit closer home, maybe a little bit more past Christmas just to maximize that crowd. And then another tough, tough for you to predict uh, question, Ferg, about the the portal and about quarterback play. Obviously, we've already seen uh, five or six reputable guys get in the portal. Uh, how how big do you feel the need is? How how active is Auburn going to try to be? And is there anyone that stands out to you as making a lot of sense right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're going to. I think they're going to at least kick the tires on somebody. I think you could go the Ole Miss route. You know, Ole Miss last year returned Jackson Dart, and then they went and got out, got two transfer quarterbacks. Um, you know, in in addition to who they got in in recruiting out of high school, and just put that competition on Dart and said, "Hey, here we go." And obviously, Dart beat out Spencer Sanders and and uh, Walker Howard and those guys, but. You know, I think that's the thing that Auburn could very well do in this situation for Thorne. And it's it's not that Peyton Thorne played badly this season, I don't think. It's just when you look at his numbers against teams that were ranked, teams that were, you know, in the win in the wins versus losses, teams that were, you know, win, or were winning having win, winning records this year. It just I mean, the pass that Auburn had in those games just is not gonna be good enough. Um and I'm not I'm not putting that all on the feet of Peyton Thorne either. Um but I would not be surprised at all if Auburn went into the portal and tried to get somebody to at least push Thorne uh, or, you know, somebody they feel like they could potentially start and have a real battle because I think when you have the passing woes Auburn had against quality competition this year, everything's up for grabs. And we can talk about getting more wide receiver talent, and obviously Auburn's going to want to do that. You can talk about maybe changing some things up with your staff and you know, with, with, with what Hugh Freeze does and his responsibility on offense, and, and I'm sure that's going to be looked over too. But quarterback's going to be a big part of that as well. And so I don't think Auburn's going to sit sit back and just say, you know what, no, we're good. Um, we're not going to – we're not – you know, we're just going to run it back next year with what we got. I think if guys make sense, they'll go after them in the portal. And obviously two came in today that makes sense for Auburn, number one, Grayson McCall. We already know Auburn went to that song and dance last year where Grayson McCall really wanted him, um, did not have as good of a year – at Coastal this year as, as he did in his season's past, but obviously that's not with Jamie Chadwell and, and their offense, but still makes a ton of sense as a fit. Um, if, if that's a possibility, I wouldn't be surprised to see Auburn go after that again. And then Riley Leonard from Duke just entered the portal, and, and Leonard's a guy that's been, I think, linked to, to Auburn for quite some time now, um, just kind of tangentially because of the fact that he is an Alabama kid uh, and you know has, has played uh, some really, really good football uh, in the past uh, at Duke. So those are two names that make a ton of sense. Um, I know people have talked about Cam Ward possibly going to the portal with, with uh, you know, what's going on at Washington State. That might be an option as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I would be really surprised if we get – I'm not saying they're going to sign anybody uh, for sure, but I would be surprised if we get, you know, at the end of the transfer portal and Auburn just has not gone after anybody at quarterback. Now, whether they convince them to come in or not is one thing or another, but – I do think they're going to have room to at least try something there and see what it goes. You know, that's not saying that Peyton Thorne can't do it, and that's not saying Auburn's season's doomed if Peyton Thorne's a starting quarterback in 2024. It is just saying, though, um, that, you know, 
they're going to have a different situation than a lot of other teams are, especially the Corn States. A couple of basketball questions for you, Ferg, before we get out of here on this Wednesday, talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Uh, ACC-SEC Challenge makes its maiden voyage last night and tonight, and for Auburn it's Virginia Tech. I know we talked in the offseason a little bit about this not really being overly appealing of a matchup compared to what Auburn could have gotten, even with another team in the state of Virginia. Uh, but talk a little bit about this matchup and, and how Bruce Pearl sees it. It's, it's going to be a good game. Uh, Virginia Tech is a, is a quality basketball team, and this could be a team that's going to be fighting for it. It's a tournament berth this year that were last year around the bubble. It's a team that's got a lot of experience, uh, really good on offense. Um, you know, they struggled in the second half against FAU on Sunday. It's third game, you know, third game in four days. FAU's awesome. Um, they kind of just fell apart there, but most of the season they have been excellent from deep, uh, really efficient. You know, from two, they don't turn the ball over a lot. One of the best teams in the country hitting free throws. They've got experience. They've got a bunch of different ways. You know, schoolwork. They've got you know they'll put three or four shooters on the floor at all times around a big man who doesn't miss very often. Like this is a really good offensive team. I mean, I don't know if they're quite Baylor level good on offense, but they're 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 really really good. Be you know probably the toughest test Auburn has faced on offense this year and then on defense um, when they're on, when they're locked in they're a really good defense as well I've uh, been forcing a lot more turnovers this year than re- than they have recently. It's just an experienced team with a great head coach and um, it's a team that's you know I think going to be fighting for the NCAA tournament you know, lives this year and I think Auburn sees them as you know a team on paper that Auburn's going to be better than but um, you know if they don't play well, Virginia Tech can definitely come in here and beat them. Um, so this is a really good matchup. It's going to be a really good test for Auburn's defense. I think Auburn's defense Really, over the you know so far this season, has shown like they are better than maybe we expected coming into the year. But again, Virginia Tech's going to be a different animal because uh, you know Hunter Couture, Lynn May, a lot of those guys like they they've got a lot of dudes uh, that can really get after you on offense. So um, this is going to be a really good matchup, and I think Auburn's going to be very very happy that this one's going to be at home tonight. So far, if you're looking at Auburn's roster, who has stood out to you the most in terms of just their stock rising? Like, wow, this he's more impactful than I thought, or he can do this better than I thought. Who's a big stock riser for you on Auburn's roster? Yeah, I'm going to go with Chad Baker Mazzara. I mean, he's coming off the bench, and he's you know sixth or seventh right now, depending on where you look at, and and kind of just minutes played and rolling and all that. But you know, he's in the top three or four in pretty much every major statistical category for Auburn in terms of like PER, net rating, stuff like that. Just his impact on the floor has been great. He's a scorer. He's a rebounder. He's 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 really impressed me on defense. Um, for a guy who played JUCO ball last year, he's made the jump right back up. He can just do something to everything, and I really like that pairing he has with Chris Moore. And I love I love personally how they start the game with Chris Moore because Chris Moore is a great defender, great rebounder, great glue guy, energy, you know, communicator, veteran. You you love to get the get, you know he's a tone setter. Uh, and then when they get into that rotation. When they can put, you know, Chad on the floor, he's more of a, he's more of an offensive threat than uh, than Chris is, but he can also have the length uh, and the athleticism to make impact plays on the defensive side of the floor. So um, I've really been impressed with Chad Baker Mazar. I think he's a he's a great pair uh, pairing with with Moore. Um, he's a guy that you know has played D one ball before, you know, but the, you know it's a guy making the jump up, from, uh, you know, from from, from JUCO last season and. Just how quickly he would he would make the move, and he's done really well. Pretty much every game, he's just done something of every some of everything pretty well. He's got a really high floor, and, and that's exactly what Auburn needs for a team that's going to rotate a lot. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call. Ferg, what do you have at the, the Auburn Observer throughout this week? 
Yeah, if you want to uh, get a breakdown of this Auburn uh, Virginia Tech game, you can check that out at the Observer today. Also, wrote a story this week on kind of what Auburn's view is, big picture view heading into 2024. You know, Hugh Freeze talking this week about how he thinks that this team's got everything it takes to be elite. So, what's that going to take? We'll break that down and kind of run some of that. And then on Monday, I do uh, I did what is probably our biggest um, you know kind of kind of story we do or piece we do that. Uh, that comes with your Observer subscription, which is a roster tracker. So every uh, move, transfer portal in, out, high school recruiting, all that, um, if you want to ever see kind of where Auburn stacks up uh, at every single position, at every spot, uh, go to the, go to the, go there. We put that out on Monday. We're already updated it with a couple outgoing transfers. We'll continue to update it. It's going to take on a life of its own throughout the off season that we updated, I mean, all the, I mean, all the way to fall camp, basically. So, uh, you get the chart, you get all the breakdowns and all that. Uh, it's just a one, you know, one page you go to, and you can see everything going on with all the football's roster. Um, and uh, I'll probably update update that thing hundreds and hundreds of times over the next few months. So comes with your observer subscription so check it out auburnobserver.com yeah absolutely with the portal with everything going on there's still just as many kids committing in high school but now there's way more players that are already out of high school uh committing and leaving so absolutely want to check that out he's justin ferguson of the auburn observer joining us today on sports call ferg as always the time is greatly appreciated we'll see you out at the arena tonight yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us on Sports Call. We're going to take one final timeout in this hour. Back to wrap up hour number one right after this. call crew wants to hear from you give us a phone call at 334-887-3401 this is philip lolly former auburn tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 national championship team and you are listening to sports call Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Or if you're listening after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, a sleepy Cam Berry with you here on this hey, Wednesday. <laughs> Sometimes i got to get you like that. Sometimes. Uh, uh, but uh, the three of us continue to chop it up here on this Wednesday. T.P. Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls. Just spoke with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Uh, as he usually joins us each and every week. Coming up a little bit later at 5.15, Joe Bartle of Rotowire will join us. He always calls in on each and every Wednesday during the football season. As we mentioned a little bit with Ferg, we only have a couple minutes left this hour, so it'll be a brief topic here. Again, if you have not heard, uh, we did talk about it on the show last week. Again, another uh, reminder for everyone, Auburn's not going to end up in the Birmingham Bowl. It is it is okay. They, they will not end up there. Uh, not enough teams became bowl eligible. In fact, no other SEC teams became bowl eligible this past weekend when Mississippi State 
lost to Mississippi, South Carolina lost to Clemson, and when Florida lost to Florida State. So uh, still nine SEC bowl-eligible teams, even if only two make the New Year's Six, which I don't really see happening. I think at least three will. But even if only two made the New Year's Six, including the playoff, uh, there still would be a Citrus Bowl for a third, and then the six bowls that rotate uh, and have a bunch of different uh, different options there. So uh, we don't know which ones. I would probably rule out the Floridian Bowls uh, in Tampa uh, and the Gator Bowl. I, I don't think that those two those two usually try to take a, a higher ranked team, even though it doesn't have to work that way. So I'm thinking one of the Tennessee Bowls, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, or the Texas Bowls, the four yeah. real options there. Guys, do you have a preference? Uh, no, I don't. Um, and yeah, I agree. Everything that you've seen from all the predicting, all the predictions, Duke's Mayo Bowl, Music City Bowl, Texas Bowl. Those are. It's you'd have to imagine it's going to be one of those three because that's kind of the consensus on everyone. I haven't really seen Auburn anywhere else except for those three. I bowls. saw a stray Liberty Bowl. I oh, saw, did you? okay. I saw one singular Liberty Bowl. That's okay. why I included the Tennessee Bowl yeah. as plural. But yeah, the Music City more likely than the Liberty. Yeah. I- I'd be cool with the Music City Bowl. I, I like I think Tennessee. that would be cool. That would Nashville. that would get yeah, Nashville. That would get. I mean, the fan base would absolutely be involved. You kind of saw how it played out with, when when uh, when Auburn went to Vanderbilt. So, you know, why not? I think that would be a, a fun a fun uh, fun venue for everybody. I think there'd be a lot of enjoyment. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see the Music City Bowl. Where the Duke's Mayo Bowl? Where's that? Charlotte? That's the short the one in Charlotte. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think for the fan base, I think they'd be more likely to pack into Nashville than they would Charlotte. Um, I mean, Charlotte's not that far, but Nashville's much easier. Charlotte's like a seven-hour drive from Auburn. Yeah. Something I think it's like about that. five. Five? Five, five and a half, yeah. Oh, wait, I forgot. I took a, a much longer route, not by choice. Uh, I took it's, the road less traveled yeah, by. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was – I went to Charlotte one time to see a Falcons-Panthers uh-huh. game. It was a whole thing. Uh-huh. I mean, it was fun, but it took a lot of detours because of vans. So, okay, you know, dealing yeah. with that. The, the He's one, a thunder chicken. Yeah. The the one the one thing I can say, uh, if it is that Duke's Mayo Bowl, it looks like it's going to be one of those Carolina teams, and so yeah. you're going to be at a disadvantage fan wise with that because you'll. Oh, you assume Duke has football fans. Eh, they have some. <laughs> they have, you assume North Carolina has a, a, Bold a, a raging fan base. Yeah, Bold I mean, of you, Tom. Bold. Well, I, I agree. I know. In, I know. You're in the state. It's easier for them to get there than it will be for Auburn. So yeah, I just had to, I had to get one in. No, so. I know. Um, uh, if you're looking Music City Bowl, then you're probably looking at another matchup against somebody like Wisconsin, who Auburn has played in the Music City Bowl before. I yep. uh, was not very successful against them. And well, wasn't that the Outback Bowl? Maybe it was multiple bowls. I know they lost an Outback Bowl. I thought there was uh, a Music City Bowl against Wisconsin that they got beat. I know they beat Purdue in yeah, eighteen. Purdue. I was they say, beat I remember the, the Purdue absolute one. boilers Breaks off of them. them. <laughs> uh, but uh, I can't. Ugh. I don't remember which was. I feel like there was an Outback Bowl against Northwestern that they won, and an Outback Bowl against Wisconsin that they lost. I think fourteen with Gus. I think. I think it was the fourteen Outback Bowl that they lost to Wisconsin, and Wisconsin might have had Melvin Gordon on that team. Or okay, yeah. Oh yeah, I so, think you're right. I think you're uh, right. Uh, fuzzy, you try to forget the losses, uh, and you can't. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I think maybe they lost Wisconsin earlier too. But right, I think let's see. Auburn, all right, Auburn beat Wisconsin in the two thousand and three. Okay, I was yeah, def- certainly not referring to that one. 
Uh, yeah, I get it. Okay. I, maybe, I'm, maybe I am thinking of the Outback Bowl. Yeah. yeah, Auburn beat Purdue 63-14 to 14 in 2018. Yes, they did. Uh, I was there. I guess. Enjoyed every bit of it. I guess that's yeah. Those are the only two times that Auburn has played in the Music City yeah. Bowl. Okay, I, I was I was thinking that Auburn got beat by Wisconsin there, but I, I, maybe I'm thinking of like an Outback Bowl or something. And yeah. not again, Music it was City. I, I pro, it's, the, it's coming back to me. 14 Outback Bowls, a very warm day, and Auburn did not play warm football. Anyway, uh, that's out of time for hour number one. Coming up in hour number two, more on Auburn football. Again, more. On some of the portal and that sort of stuff. But also, we'll get into some Auburn basketball. They've got a date with Virginia Tech tonight in the SEC ACC Challenge. We'll preview that one. Talk a little Auburn basketball as well. Again, Cam, Tom, and Ryan with you here on this Wednesday edition of the program. We'll take this time out. Be back in just a few minutes on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday. T.P. Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls. And speaking of phone calls, let's start that way with hour number two as we go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-889-TIGER-9. First up in hour number two. Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? Good, gentlemen. I'm finally through my uh, recovery stages. Yes, sir. So, how are you guys doing, Cam and uh, Tom, right? That's it. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, hey, let's get to it, guys. I really enjoyed, I'll enjoy uh, Ms. Ferguson's uh, uh, observations and uh, comments, feedback. You know, uh, you guys were talking about you know, memorable or gut-wrenching losses. But I didn't hear you guys talk about this one. Uh, it's probably in my, maybe on my top 15. Uh, it was the one, I forgot the year it was, when grass eating less miles, instead of going for a darn field goal, uh, surprises the crap out of everybody, especially Auburn fans, and goes for a touchdown pass in the end zone. You remember that, guys? Yeah, yes. I do, yeah. Yes. It was at LSU. Yep. What year was that? Do you remember? Oh, six-ish, seven-ish. It, I think it was still Tuberville, uh, but I don't remember exactly what year. Yeah, that, that was still 
uh, amazed me because, you know, the, the odds say, you know, he's not going to do that. He's going to go for a field goal, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, that was a, a shocking play for sure. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, then uh, another one that, that, I mean, that one really made my evening miserable. Uh, was it 84, 85? Anyway, it was the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Georgia game at our, our place, and we were winning, and somehow we were in overtime. And we had to hose them down, remember, after we lost? Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we took out the water hoses because <laughs> the, the fans were going. Uh, the Georgia. Anyway, what year was that one, guys? You know, 98? What was that? I, I again, I don't recall. I don't know if Tom remembers, but I, I don't recall. I, I, that was another grunt. I, I have unfortunately uh, a, a extraordinary memory for bad losses in Auburn games. All right, uh, moving on, guys. About tonight's game, uh, I think it was you, Ryan, that thought. I think I heard you, if I recall correctly, yesterday that by Virginia Tech that you said they really were not a very good team. Uh, is that do I recall that correctly? Yeah, I know Ferg talked them up a little bit again, and and they usually. Uh, they usually compete around the tournament bubble. I speculate it'd be about a ten-point line. It's eight and a half. Uh, yeah, what's going on there? Yeah, well, I mean that's not a big difference. It's it's still within the realm of possibility there. But I I I, I think that Virginia Tech can shoot. Um, but again, I'm just going to be a little bit more bullish on this one than maybe the average person and. Uh, I, I think that at home, Auburn should expect to win this game. Doesn't mean they can't play a C game and, and be okay. Uh, I do think Virginia Tech is better than Notre Dame and St. Bonaventure. I will say that. Uh, but but I do think that Auburn is the better team, and this would not be a particularly good loss on the resume if Auburn were to, were to acquire it. it. It being at home will not end up a quad one game, I, I do not believe. So uh, Virginia Tech will shoot it. They will score a little bit. Uh, but but I think Auburn Auburn should expect to score more. I saw uh, when they shoot, I think, close to 35% from three-point Yeah, 34-point something. Yeah, 34-point something. Yep. Okay. Uh, and they've been playing a number of games, so uh, they have they may be a little bit tired, but then we're also on the other end kind of maybe rusty. Or what do you think? Uh, I think it evens out. I mean, I think that, yes, Bruce Pearl did mention that as a little bit of concern. There is an eight-day layoff, which is abnormal. Uh, for the basketball season, they last played Tuesday against Alabama A&M. Virginia Tech played uh, Sunday, Friday, and Thursday of last week. Uh, so they're back on kind of the standard couple days off. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't make too much into it. Could Auburn start a little slow? Maybe. Uh, but if Bruce is already being aware of that, I expect them to at least start with energy, even if every shot doesn't go in at first. So, yeah, I'd monitor the first few minutes of the game for that, but I don't think that that's a, necessarily a big concern. And do you expect for Bruce to do the starters uh, that he did uh, the last game where he had Janai Broom not start? Yeah, you know, that was really interesting. And I, I was at that game, and we on Media Row we were all a little surprised when that came out, was wondering if there was an injury. There, of course, was not. Uh, and that kind of speaks to Bruce Pearl feeling that a lot of these parts are, are interchangeable and at least the starting lineup. And, and, and also, I'll tell you this, of all the teams in the country, Auburn is one of the least important starting lineup teams, and the reason is Bruce Pearl subs about as early as I've ever seen anyone sub people. He will sub people in in two minutes, even if they're not in foul trouble. So uh, the starting lineup is more of an optics thing because this team has so many different players it considers a part of their uh, important rotation that that's not necessarily how they're going to close a game. 
Uh, and again, with with the quick hooks for a lot of these players, even if they're doing nothing wrong, I, I just think that he looks at it as very interchangeable. Okay, so the reason I brought it because some people blogging that they'd heard there have been some in kind of a internal issues going on. Uh, you didn't hear anything about that regarding Janai Broom then? No, at least it was not mentioned by Bruce Pearl. Uh, so, I mean, again, I can't dispel that rumor, but but it was certainly not – it's certainly not a public one. Okay. All right. And um, I, I'm i hoping this will be a double-digit win like you – you know, I think you mentioned that yesterday. Uh, Sportsline, CBS Sportsline, though, has it being – their computer to 10,000 simulations – 75 to 71, which is a lot closer than I thought they would be predicting. Yeah. So I said, well, um, I don't think this will be that, that tough a game then. Yeah, I mean, I, again, and, and I want to always say this. I know this feels like a cop-out, but it could end up a 10 or 11-point game that felt more like a 4 or 5-point game, and it can be the opposite, as in Auburn could be leading – for 38 minutes of the game and be leading quite handily at times and Virginia Tech make a run to make it look closer in the end. I, I, I Again, I, I will say that they are better than Notre Dame, so I don't think Auburn will just blow them out by 20, 25 points. But again, I do think that they should be expecting to win this game by about 10 to 12 points. Does that mean there, there are some uncomfortable moments? Yeah, probably, because in the course of a 40-minute game, unless you're just beating the brakes off of somebody, heck, I was even uncomfortable at times against Alabama A&M in the second half uh, just because they took their foot off the gas and kind of mellowed out there because uh, I think Alabama A&M actually outscored them by a point in the second half. Yeah, and they so, did. So even, no, in beat, that. Yeah, even in beatdowns, uh, you know, sometimes you, you <clears throat> take your foot off the gas and – and try some different stuff, and so you know, I, I think that there will be some some moments that look a little less than stellar, but I think for the most part, Auburn will still look good tonight. Well, give me your take on this. Is this just Auburn's DNA that we let off the gas in a lot of second half games? Uh, does Bruce just do that intentionally, or the guys get too uh, complacent? Well, what what explains that? Uh, I mean, if you're referring to the A and M game, I mean, not just that, but other games. We'll we'll do that. We'll be way ahead, and all of a sudden. Look at the Baylor game. Should have won that game handily. And we let Baylor come back on us. Well, okay, that, that that's something completely different than than having a thirty point lead and just kind of chilling out the rest True. of the game. Uh, you know that that was a turnover uh, fest for about five minutes, and that that's why they lost that game. They didn't. And we'll do that in the second half. Our team will do that. Well, sure. Other teams do it too, though, Steve. That's not just that's not uniquely Auburn. Uh, I think that. That part of it is this this team will have some sequences where they turn over the ball because they're moving the ball a lot more. It's not a stagnant basketball. Overall, that's a net positive in my mind. I think it's been uh, a, a positive that they have worked the ball around, and, and they will have to protect the ball better, and they'll have to do it in key situations. But I think that overall their offense is just flat out better than last year, and if a couple extra turnovers are part of that, I'm not going to bark about it. But, again, we all know that they can't have too many of those sequences. And then, you know, the game like Alabama A&M, that's just a second half where the energy starts to dry up a little bit. You beat them. You covered the spread in the first half. Uh, and you're just not going to get necessarily overly excited for the second half, and that that can happen to a lot of teams. Obviously, we'd all love for them to go pound them and beat them by 20 or 30 in the second half too. But you know, you start different sub rotations, and you, you, you again you lose a little bit of the edge, and 
you know, that that's I don't think that's that's a concerning sign. I would far more point to the Baylor game as something to look out for. All right. Give me your take, guys, on have we regressed or we have we improved any in our free throwing? I think that that's a deceptive stat because I think that Janai Broom has regressed or at least is the same. Well, and he, I'm glad and he, you saw that relation. Excuse me, Ron, because I'm saying, come on, come on, come on, you know, can't you over the season have done better than this? And here he goes again. And yet I read about Dylan Cardwell. He's getting some uh, additional, I guess, supervision or uh, mentoring. I said, well, what about Janai? Can somebody do some mentoring with him? Or is, he, is that it for him? Is that his ceiling? I, I, th- I think 60% is his ceiling. I think it just is what it is. Uh, Why? You know, uh, because some guys don't make free throws, Steve. And you can say, why again? Because some guys just can't make free throws, Steve. Because uh, if if it was the – look, if it was a uniform thing that everyone did, then every single person would always be able to improve. And I hate to go with the absolute best of the best, but I think this example is very valid. One of the two or three greatest players in the history of the sport of basketball shoots 70% from the foul line. Uh, and that's LeBron James. And he has shot in the upper 60s before. And that is nothing other than sometimes it just is not the skill set of a player to do that. It doesn't make them less of a great player. Uh, it doesn't mean that they don't work on it. But some guys just don't accomplish it the way they want to accomplish it. So, you know, I'm sure Broom is aware because he's a guy that's going to shoot a lot of foul shots, being the big bodied guy he is. Uh, sometimes for guys, it's a mental thing. Sometimes they might go shoot 80% in practice uh, and then shoot 50 or 60% in the games. I know that I'm a nobody. I know that I'm not a great comparison. But I'll tell you that I used to I played high school basketball. I shot 80 or 85% in open gym with no one watching. I shot about 55 or 60% in a game. Uh, wow. and, and so that, that sometimes it is a mental hurdle to clear. And I, I can't speak for every single person, uh, but, but again, I, I know that Broom's aware of it. Uh, it doesn't make it any less disappointing because you do need him to shoot better at the end of the day. But, again, there are guys like this across the country that just, that just don't make the percentage you want them to make no matter how hard they try. And, you know, I love John. Uh, he's an excellent player. You know, uh, my concern is when he gets – to critical maybe foul times, you know. Uh, I, I, I mean, if I'm an opponent, I'm gonna go after Jai Broom and right. And, oh, I and, would and too. Make him go to the free throw line. Yeah, no, I would too. I and look, let's let's see Cardwell shoot more this year uh, before we make any declarations because it is a great start for him, but it is a very small sample sizes, and we talk about how sample sizes matter a lot, particularly in baseball, but also in basketball. Let's see him shoot more. If he continues to shoot 75% from the line, I think he's at 77 right now, if he continues to shoot that, that's a move that Bruce Pearl could make in the last two minutes of the game where they're maybe not they're tied or up two because you need Broom's quality, but if they're up six or seven with a minute and a half left, that might be a determining factor. I mean, that might be a reason to put Cardwell on if it's going to be a 20 or 25% free throw percentage difference. Now, you also have the ability to just keep the ball out of Broom's hands and make him foul somebody else, and that's really what it's going to, the onus on Auburn is going to be on. Uh, but, you know, I, let, let's see it play out a little bit longer. I am sure that Broom is just a 50s or maybe 60% foul shooter. He's never going to start making a lot. But we'll, but we'll see from more from Cardwell as the season goes on if he can maintain this level. All right. And just real quickly, guys, I know my time and your time is valuable. Uh, about the quarterback portal that you're talking about, uh, isn't it 
NCAA rule uh, no-no to be going in any way after somebody who's not even announcing that right. they're going to be transferred? Yeah, it's supposed to be. you're talking about Cam Ward, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be, yeah. But it's well, not heavily enforced. Not, not hearing any of this? Because if you're not talking about it, surely they can't be deaf. Yeah, I, again, I, I don't know why. I, I think that they feel that there's too many things to investigate because everybody does it. Uh, but, yeah, no, you're not supposed to. Uh, and I'm, uh, I, I don't see the NCAA vastly changing how they police this. Okay. What about the ceiling for uh, Mr. Peyton Thor? Do you think we've seen it? Or do you think the cast of characters have been so abysmal in terms of his receivers uh, that he could actually look better if he had people like, I don't know, like Brock Bowers? Well, I think we'd all look better with Brock Powers. Now, <laughs> I, I would say that I do think there's a little more in him because, I, A, the numbers were just objectively better at Michigan State, and then, B, objectively speaking, you get a better group of wide receivers, you're going to have better opportunities for the quarterback. And Peyton Thorne had some troubles identifying. He had some troubles uh, being able to read what he needed to read in, in terms of RPOs and stuff like that. But his accuracy really for – I mean, you can always find one or two, but his accuracy really was pretty good this year. Uh, and even if it's even marginally off, then it's not caught. That's just the way Auburn went this year. When he was a little short to Fairweather in the Iron Bowl, it just it wasn't caught. Uh, you know, when it was a little bit underthrown to Camden Brown in the Vandy game and Brown mistimed his jump, it wasn't caught. So better receivers absolutely can mend – some of those things. So I don't think his ceiling has been reached. Is it still a ceiling that you're excited by? Probably not, no. And that's why Auburn is going to to fish around here in the portal. Uh, but if he ends up quarterback next year, is there a pathway to more success? Yes. But those receivers that they're all recruiting right now, they're going to have to step up big as true freshmen for that to happen. Well, I was just wondering, if we stick with uh, Peyton, is he a 10-game winning quarterback? Yeah, uh, I don't think he is. You know, I, again, well, he was at Michigan State, uh, no. so the, again, the pathway can be there, but you've got to have a lot of different things. And if you want to be honest, Coleman, if you your receivers, right? If you have Coleman and Thompson, I think those guys are day one contributors. Now, I, I think that Malcolm Simmons and Bryce Kane can be contributors at some point. I wouldn't bank on it from the very start of their freshman years, but I think they'll get there. Uh, but I will say that you know these guys, these guys that they're going to be asking to contribute, even if they are contributors right away, the best versions of themselves are not going to be in year one. They're going to be year two and year three. Uh, so that is something to consider too. Uh, but I, I, I haven't really gone this route, but if you want to play the what-if game, talk about being a 10-game winner, could Auburn won the Iron Bowl? Well, duh. Should they beat New Mexico State? Yeah. Could they have beaten Georgia's one possession game? Yeah. Did they lose to Ole Miss by one position? Yeah. So can you we change? Could have had ten game wins. Can you we could have had ten game wins? So today. right. I mean, if you had the absolute stars aligned and the absolute stars aligned, you would have gotten very damn close this year. Now again, it didn't happen, and will it happen? There's no proof to say say it will. Uh, but again, it's not that you're incredibly far off if you can play to your best level. 
each and every week because, again, you played two of the best teams in the country at home to one-possession games. The problem is you're going to go to those teams next year, and you're going to have to be three, four possessions better than you were this year. And can they make that much up with Thorne? I doubt it. They're, they're just not – they're not going to beat Alabama and Georgia playing like they did this year, even though it was uh, very close at home. They're not going to do that on the road next year. So uh, – so really, I don't think he can get that much better. I think they can scare it, but you know, he he absolutely can make improvements. I just don't think for what they're going to have to do next year schedule wise. No, I think that because I think I think just about anybody, unless you just hit on something awesome, I think you're automatically already down to ten and two just by going to Athens and Tuscaloosa. Okay, real quickly then, finally, guys, I'm going to give you a bold prediction, and I welcome. Anybody else, you guys included, to say, now, nah, good luck. I'm going to say this right now. I've already told you my long care person. He's an Alabama guy. Uh, there will be no undefeated SEC teams next year, next season. Okay. Um, you know, I don't think that's – I don't. I definitely can see that. We'll have to see how the rosters align. I'm not going to be bold until I see the rosters. But, I mean, yeah, there's only one most years, and you're adding Texas and Oklahoma into it, and, and adding at least one tough game for everybody. I don't, th- I don't think that's far fetched. I think it's possible. Well, because I already saw, I haven't seen Auburn's schedule yet, but Alabama doesn't have a cupcake game uh, between uh, them and, and the Iron Bowl week. They got to play Oklahoma. Yeah, no, I, I they so the, that got started to get released. We haven't talked about it yet, but uh, yeah, Chris Lowe released some of that. You know, they do play Georgia in the regular year. Yes, they've got LSU late. They've got Oklahoma the week before. If those yeah. schedules Welcome are, if to those Auburn's football season, right? If those schedules are accurate, so uh, you know, Georgia and I mean, again, every everyone's going to have an additionally tough game because of the addition of Texas and Oklahoma and how they played this year. And I welcome it because you know, year in a year out, we don't we don't have passy teams in the SEC. We don't get Vanderbilts. Georgia does. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> Auburn did this year, but yeah, not every single year. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Okay, that's it, guys. Hey, thank you for listening to my whining rambling, and I hope to gosh that you're more right about us hopefully having a 10, 10 point win rather than Sports Lines a uh, four to five point win. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, we'll give another shot. But till then. War Eagle. War Eagle, Steve. Appreciate that phone call. That is retired War Dam Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're going to head to our first time out here of the 4 o'clock hour. When we come back, we'll talk some Auburn basketball. A little bit later, we'll talk more college football, though. And also at 5.15 today, Joe Bartle of Rotowire will join us. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Now, back to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry with you here. TP Hammock running the board 
and taking your phone calls today. Just had a chat with retired Ward AM Steve. And now we go right back to the orthopedic clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Next up, Luke from Alex City. Luke is with us. Luke, how are you today? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing very well. I uh, just wanted to point out, you know, I, I, Steve ironically said they Auburn doesn't get to play Vanderbilt. Well, Auburn played Vanderbilt this year, and they played them next year. Um, they played them at home next year. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would say Auburn's SEC schedule was about as friendly as it can be. Uh, no LSU. Texas A&M at home, you know, after a coaching change. Arkansas at home. Vanderbilt at home. Oklahoma at home. You do have to go to Alabama and to Georgia, but your non-conference is uh, pretty bad. It's not even complete yet. It's got California, who won't even really be in a Power Five conference anymore, uh, or I guess they are in the ACC. It's hard to keep up. <laughs> and um, then a couple of soup cans and one other team to be announced later, which I assume will be a Mercer type or somebody like that. So, frankly, Auburn's schedule next year sets up pretty well to have a big improvement. No, 100%. I, I, I would not argue with you there. I think he's uh, more so referring to historical, but even still, I mean, yes, I, I tried to correct him there on the on the Vandy part of it. But, uh, yeah, no, next year, and, and who knows, this is going to be a one-off deal. Uh, it might become the, the, the eight, uh, or it might become the nine-game model with three cons. It might become eight with one, and uh, then it will be – changing so much year to year without divisions and it, you know I, I i'm looking forward to it I, again we've talked about eight versus nine before uh hopefully at the very minimum we do just get a resolution i'm still in the nine team train but at the very minimum want a resolution but yeah but for this potentially one-off schedule next year i think there's no no argument that auburn's going to have uh, a better time of it and uh, again it, it, anyone that gets vandy is blessed and, and uh certainly you get the home game against oklahoma instead of having to go to either oklahoma or texas that's a plus too yeah there's no doubt and in fact speaking of eight game versus nine game i you know, based on the way the committee is ranking teams right now and they really don't seem to be taking in strength to schedule uh because they still have oregon at five and they keep pointing to, well, they've had game control. I mean, of course they have. They've played a lesser schedule. And they got to play Texas Tech in their non-conference, where Texas played Texas Tech, a common opponent. Texas beat them by 50, and Oregon won by eight. And they still have Texas, whose only loss is Oklahoma, uh, and who has beaten a good Alabama team, much better than any team that Oregon has beaten. And they have Alabama and Texas behind Oregon by a couple of slides. And um, so I'm hoping the SEC stays at eight, because if you're not going to get any extra compensation, uh, either financially through ESPN or through reputation with the committee by playing a tougher schedule, I'm all for playing. I'm, I'm like, I was super excited Alabama had scheduled Wisconsin and Florida State, Notre Dame, Ohio State. All those teams are coming on Alabama's schedule. And I was really excited about it, and I thought that was the way to go to make sure that the committee knows, okay, just like in basketball, we tried to play a tough non-conference schedule. Well, it seems like they're not really taking that into account. So I'm, I'm all for saying, hey, just stick with eight and play, you know, four or five Mercers 
and uh, just go for the best record. I, it, that's the message I'm getting from them. Well, it will also be interesting to see how they treat Florida State at the end of this, assuming Florida State can beat Louisville and hang on. And I know that's a little bit of a different circumstance, but that's talking about a team that will be undefeated, will have a better record, but obviously has many questions without Jordan Travis and having an ACC that is a, a little bit of a notch below a couple of these other Power Five conferences. So that's going to be interesting. And and look, the truth is, though, too, that I feel, and I guess I shouldn't say truth, my, my opinion is that really they seem to change their criteria around a little bit from committee to committee and, and, and these different members and how it flip-flops and that sort of thing. And I really don't know how, and this is why the league opted to do this, I don't know how they're going to act during a 12-team playoff. And that's really what it's going to be about for these teams, uh, scheduling in the future and, and how many conference games and if you're trying to still play a big boy non-conference game or not. Really, it's going to be how they treat it when we, when we get to 12. But certainly you're right that – uh, you know, Oregon looks the part, but they've also had a different part uh, to play versus Texas, who has uh, obviously about as good of a win as you can have. Uh, whether Alabama wins the SEC title or not, I, I don't think it changes how great that win is. So, you know, I think that uh, it's a tough argument to have. Um, and there's there's going to be someone, again, I've said it for weeks now, someone's going to be justifiably angry by the time this is said and done. And I agree, and, you know, frankly, I, I kind of dig it, even as an Alabama guy, that we may get left out. I don't think the SEC champ will be left out. I really don't believe that. Now, obviously, if it's Georgia, there'd be no question. Right. But if it's Alabama, I don't think they would be either. In fact, um, I was listening to a, a more national show today. And usually a more national show, if it's all around sports, is going to focus more on the NFL, so maybe they don't know quite as much about college football or have their finger on the pulse of it as quite as much. But uh, they made the mention that in their eye, it would make more sense to have, if Alabama and Georgia, and Alabama wins a close one, mm -hmm. to have two SEC teams in versus have no SEC teams in. Which, if you go by letter of the law with what the committee's supposed to do, which is to put the four best teams in, that makes the most sense. Now, I don't see much of a pass for that to happen unless there's mass chaos, meaning, you know, Iowa beats Michigan and uh, Florida State loses and Texas loses and. Uh, maybe Oregon blue. I, the Oregon thing, I'm not sure how that's going to pan out. But um, regardless, I think uh, I think the SEC champ, whether it's Alabama or Georgia, uh, should definitely get in. Yeah. No. And look, I'll, I the only thing that makes it complicated, and it is obviously the important thing here, is that head to head with Bama and Texas. If this was if this was just a Texas that had beaten another generically good top 15 top 10 team then we could we could defer to oh I think the sec I think this time on a neutral field Alabama would win well it's because they did go to Tuscaloosa even if Texas was at home you might have a different argument in that one but it's that they did the most difficult thing you could do and it, it's tough to overlook that because it, you're you're kind of directly saying yeah we, basically, what you got to say is no. We think Alabama is just significantly better than Texas, uh, because no, and I agree, right? Because then otherwise you would have to say, well, then why didn't that result matter? That's why you play them on the field. And I agree with it. I agree with what you're saying, and that's why I don't think it's going to be a travesty either way. Because the counterpoint would be, okay, that's true. They did win the head to head. Texas, by default, has a worse loss to Oklahoma. Uh, Texas also doesn't have as many quality wins, even though their one quality win is very good. 
And if Alabama were to beat Georgia, their quality win would be even better. Um, right. And so, I mean, I think it would be a, a, a great debate, and I hope it doesn't come down to that because, I mean, it really would be a coin toss if you ask me. Um, I don't think it's a no-brainer either way. I really don't. Even if, There are a lot of Alabama fans I know who believe it's a no-brainer. I don't believe that. I believe that it's, uh, there's a legit argument both ways, and uh, that's what's going to make this weekend so much fun. But the bottom line is, you know, Alabama's got to beat Georgia, and that's going to be pretty sure. difficult. Yeah, well, and, and look, the <laughs> committee's going to be sweating in a way that they have not sweated uh, in some time. And you are right about, you know, we, we, have, we have not had much chaos this year, but if there was a chaotic week, there still would be a path for both because I think all it would take, I don't even think it has anything to do with the Pac-12. I think you just need Texas and Florida State to lose because then you would have yeah. Michigan, you'd have the Pac-12 champ, and then you could put Alabama and Georgia both in. So, I, you know, that's yeah. not incredibly far-fetched given especially Florida State without Travis. We just don't know what they are. Uh, but, but yeah, no, there's this is about the most scenario-laden weekend I think we've had during this whole thing. There, there's, I mean, there's eight legitimate teams that could still get in this thing. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. All right, guys, thank you. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate that phone call. That is Luke from Alex City joining us on the Orthopedic Click phone line. Yeah, we've had uh, numerous playoff discussions here. It just It's it's a conundrum. Uh, again, it, it continues to be uh, a, a situation where the committee really wanted one of these big rivalries to end up in the upset. <laughs> yeah. Would have loved Florida to, to hang on and beat Florida State. Would have loved Auburn to win so that they had less to deal with and less scenarios because, you know, the committee likes to uh, – they, they make it controversial themselves sometimes, but obviously at the end of the day, no one likes to be yelled at. Uh, and I just think someone will be yelling at somebody. And as Luke said, look, we all have our different opinions on Alabama versus Texas if it were to come to that. But I think he's right that both both arguments make perfect sense. Texas's argument that we beat you on your field, give us the spot, makes great sense. Alabama says we beat the number one team in the country to end the year, the number one team all year long, and we have a a, a loss that's not as bad inherently. Which, granted, you know Texas and I mean Oklahoma's ranked what. 14th, 15th, 13th. It's not like it's a bad loss. It's just a slightly worse-ranked team. Uh, but the argument is we have the best win you can have because we beat the number one team on the neutral field. And you say, well, yeah, that makes sense too. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, is a, it is a conundrum. Um, and now, granted, uh, as you also could point out, uh, if Alabama does lose to Georgia, we, we have we have almost made it a habit for the sake of the conversation of just assuming Alabama will do this and they will win, and they very well may. Uh, however, it's also possible Georgia plays to the level that they have played uh, for every big game they played in. Granted, Alabama is is usually a different animal, but every big game they have been met in, whether it's Ole Miss or Tennessee at Tennessee or whoever. Uh, they have thumped, and now I do not think they'll be thumping Alabama. But if they play to the best of their ability, they—I still think they're the better team. So they very well could end up doing that. Uh, but you know, the, the the Alabama beating them—that's what initiates all the chaos. If if Georgia wins. Then your argument, I guess, if everyone wins, Georgia and Michigan are obvious. Let's say the Pac-12 champion either way, Washington or Oregon. And then you're debating probably Texas and Florida State, uh, I would think. Maybe you debate Florida State with the Pac-12 school, but I think especially if it's Washington, they're getting in, period. Uh, So the debate changes it a little bit, but it's not necessarily as volatile 
<laughs> or, or maybe even too, it was too pronged uh, because you could backdoor Georgia. You still have maybe a backdoor argument for Georgia. I don't know. It Again, eight teams, all with a path. Maybe one or two need something, but all with a path. Uh, makes it a lot of fun. 334-887-3401 locally, toll-free, one 888 9 Let's go back to the orthopedic clinic phone line. Keith from Auburn. Keith is with us. Keith, how are you today? I'm outstanding. Gentlemen, how are y'all? Doing well. Great. Hey, I caught some of Luke's uh, call, uh, uh, but I just wanted to touch base on a couple of things. Uh, I think people... Uh, I mean, you're almost splitting hairs with a lot of this, that, uh, where everybody's at right now. Uh, my opinion, um, the, the committee, uh, for the most part, the whole time, has pretty much set the president that uh, Alabama's where they're at, and they're not moving. They're not going to move them up. Uh, now, obviously, if they beat Georgia, they'll move up. But the question is, you know, do they move up? far enough to to make the the top four um i don't know if there's been uh years past and i want to say they have been where uh a particular team beat the one and then took over the one spot maybe in the final final poll i don't think that would be the case this time um and i, I don't know guys do y'all remember that ever happening uh it, not unless it was like a, a two or three or, or right. something. I mean, I, I yeah, think right. it was, yeah, you know, a, a, a four matchup or something. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I think Bama's got to have some help, uh, even if they, and I say, even Absolutely. if they beat Georgia, um, you know, because that's not a, nobody's done that in three years, um, you know, have beaten Georgia. But the, the, everybody, uh, you know, I've got, Sometimes I get these feelings, okay? Sure. Kind of like the song, I Got a Feeling. <laughs> but, uh, and it's not Alabama. But let me tell you, the, the, the game that uh, I'm looking at here, and I think people are overlooking it, that's the Iowa-Michigan game. All and right. I think that game, I, I just looked at the line. Michigan's a 22-point favorite. Yeah, well, that's a lot. 22-point favorite. Now, do they have better talent? Uh, yeah, they they have better talent. But here's the thing: that defense Iowa has, if you can play that kind of defense, uh, defense will keep you in a ball game. It can, you know. Sure. Uh, I just got this feeling that 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 game between Michigan and Iowa is going to be a heck of a lot closer than most people think it will be. Look, I, I certainly can see Iowa covering because you could make the argument Michigan yeah. only scores about 24 to 28 points. Um, you know, the question is just – and, look, I'll give Iowa this. Usually you say, okay, well, the question is, with a really good defense and poor offense, how long can you keep the defense from getting exhausted? Well, they do it every week. They, they're having to play uh, 12, 10 games every week, so they, they really don't get tired. You're just you're banking on being able to actually find a way to keep Michigan from being able to get a good field position, a run of good field position, or being able to just wear you down, being able yeah. to make make something that just finally breaks the defense. Because once I will say in those games where a team is an underdog and they're trying, they're trying to hold the line and hold the line. 
once they get a bit give up a big one, it the dam usually breaks. So yeah. can Iowa just keep that going for as long as possible and just play a nineteen nineties game, play a field position game, try and run clock. You know, but but you know, I am not gonna be, and, and you're not. I know you're not either. I'm not gonna pick Iowa, but yeah, I absolutely see how they can they can cover that and make that a, a muddier game than people are yeah. thinking they will. And, and here you, you kind of call it almost call it a, a a trap game. And let me tell you, for Michigan, they're coming off their biggest win of the season against their arch rival, and they're getting their head coach back on the sideline. Sure. So there's a lot uh, of things there uh, that it could, you know, set up for a possible kind of a trap game. But I don't know. I, I looked at some of these lines. Uh, you know, uh, I can't believe Washington or, or Oregon's a nine and a half point favorite. It, uh, isn't that played at a neutral side? Uh, yes, yes, it is. Uh, that that again, I and look, I think that speaks to why everyone everyone is just eyeballing Oregon, thinking, "Oh, it's yeah. coming. Oh, it's gonna come." You know, and and like I will say that it did appear to me that Oregon. I know it sounds weird because it was a close game, but since it was on the road and they lost as the road team, I still kind of think they are better than Washington. However. We we do get to see it play out, and Washington right. did still win that game, and that is valuable. Yeah. So, you know, it, I I would not put it nine and a half. Am I am I mad at you know? I, do I see Oregon as the slight favorite? Sure, I can buy that. But no, I, yeah. I ten basically ten points a two possession game is is again a, a whole nother level of oh we just trust our eyes we don't care what happened. Yeah, yeah and then you, you, you then you roll you scroll on down here to this Texas Longhorn. Oklahoma State, uh, Texas is a 15-point favorite. Yeah. Now, here's an Oklahoma State team that runs the football. Right. So, if they're able to run the football, guess what that means? That Texas offense is on the sideline. And right. that game becomes closer than what the line uh, shows there, I believe. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I never know. You, you just don't ever know. A couple more things. Uh, you guys heard any, uh, any word on uh, – Opalak is new head football coach. Any any rumors out there? Anything? Uh, we have not, and we've also got our guy TP in the studio who does a lot of high school stuff, and he was shaking his head no. So uh, not not to our knowledge right now. I tell you, I tell you, I think somebody that would do a good job that probably still lives right here in the area, and that be Smitty Grider up there at uh, Benjamin Russell. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No. He the Ben Russell's been really quality the two years he's taken yeah. over there. Yeah, he's really turned them around, and he's a great coach. I mean, the guy knows his X's and O's, and he's he's coached at Opelika. You know, he was there when uh, um, I have to get the coach, the, the Hall of Famer that that was there, that's on their uh, broadcast uh, radio Smith station. McCracken, McCracken, yeah, yeah. McCracken, Coach McCracken. Uh, so I think he coached under Coach McCracken. But uh, anyway, that would be, uh, I think that would be a, a good hire for uh, for uh, Opelika. And then uh, last but not least. I see the chaos is fixing to start again. Angel Reese is going to play tomorrow night. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she is back. <laughs> so we'll see how things go there. Uh, I read so many Google accounts on, on that that I about, uh, uh, about have nightmares of LSU women's basketball, <laughs> Coach Mulkey, and Angel Reese. <laughs> so anyway, guys, uh, I appreciate y'all taking my call. I, I tell you what, I think, uh, I think Auburn – uh, does win tonight. Uh, I think they're they're playing. They're getting better. 
uh, each game, it, it, it appears to me, uh, and they're they're very talented. Uh, so I saw some highlight rims of uh, reels of uh, Jabari Smith mm-hmm. uh, the other night. I forget who they were playing, but uh, he he drained a few threes, and I guess he's doing pretty good there at Houston this year. I hadn't really followed followed him, but uh, all the highlights he was he was on the floor. So yeah, he's he's definitely having a a better, more efficient year this year. Last year he did not shoot the ball well from the perimeter. He's starting to starting to figure that out. That's that's good, good deal. Well, listen, guys, I know y'all got other callers. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call, and uh, you know I'll continue to listen. And uh, y'all guys keep up the great work. Yes, sir. We appreciate it, Keith. That is Keith from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're going to take one more quick timeout in this hour. Back to wrap up hour number two, right after this. Time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. To the Wednesday edition of Sports Call live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app, or if you're listening after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca Cola. Ryan Lavoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday. Just had chats with Keith from Auburn and Luke from Alex City. Appreciate all of our callers. Uh, that join in throughout the show each and every day, and uh, yeah, know a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff there from Keith. Again, playoff debates rage. Uh, there are just continue to be a lot of cases for all these teams. There's really no one that has an awful case because even to me, if I, if I had to rank the eight teams best to worst, yeah. The worst team, in my opinion, right now is probably Florida State. <laughs> That's because so of, unfortunate because of Travis going out. Right, and so, but their argument would be: we were undefeated, we won our league, we were in the top five or so all year. What do you want from us? <laughs> You know, we can't we can't control people's health. So that's their argument. It's not a bad argument. Uh, now, again, line them up on a neutral versus all these other teams without Jordan Travis, and I'm taking the other teams. Uh, and then you get into the mission for best teams, for most deserving, for mix and match. I don't know. <laughs> again, you know, we I, I, I do feel like it changes from committee to committee at times, and the criteria uh, does seem to be applicable because, again, let's – we don't love talking about, you know, trying to make the case for two SEC teams. But if you if Georgia lost, do you think that they'd lose to Washington? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think they yeah, lose Florida State? No, I do not think they lose Florida State. As a matter of fact, uh, so you know, it, it it goes into it goes into all that, um, and then also coming up in the third hour, we won't have time to get 
and then too much detail right here, but Auburn basketball, they are set for the ACC-SEC Challenge. Saw some games last night yeah. uh, in the Challenge. Uh, a couple more big ones tonight. Last night, Kentucky, I'll tell you what, Kentucky. Dude, I've heard that they are super legit. Didn't oh, get I, to watch much of it, but uh, – Points. Oh, man, points. I heard that they can shoot, man. Points. Yeah. I, the I, points. They're seriously – All of them. Man. That's <laughs> that. I mean, just from what I was seeing, just kind of hopping around Twitter and stuff – uh, as I was getting ready for bed, um, people were like, "Yeah, they're they're best in the SEC." So they're, they're Miami was hanging for a while. In fact, right. they had a first half lead, and then Kentucky just dominated the second half. I looked up. I'm not kidding, and I I don't I don't ever mean to exaggerate. This is not exaggeration. They were up five at half. Right. I looked up, and in about four minutes of the second half, they were all the way up to like up eighteen or nineteen. Sheesh. And I was just, I, I didn't even notice. That's crazy. I was on my phone. I was locked into something on my phone, and all of a sudden, it was just there. Uh, and then also, what happened last night? I'm just going to tell you for the score's sake. So Alabama lost to Clemson last night. I, I saw that as well. That's a that's a surprising one because in Clemson Coleman. was like was. Clemson was in last yeah. year. I know they probably they were a bubble team. Yeah. yeah, and and so they've gotten some. I think they've gotten some transfers in, right? And they've they've kind yeah, of yeah, Joe Gerard from, right, Syracuse from Syracuse can shoot it. Yep. yep, and he yeah he can shoot yep. it. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. But so I, I don't have a deep take on 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 Alabama yet. But I will tell you that when they play Kentucky, when they play Kentucky, that will be 100 to 93. It will look yeah. like an oh, NBA yeah. no score. I don't no know defense. who will win because it's just going to be who's a little hotter at the time. I mean, Kentucky does look like the better team. Uh, but that Alabama does not like defense. No, they they love offense. They Kentucky absolutely, absolutely loves offense. Yep. Whatever that over-under is when we get to that game, whenever over. it is, over. Hammer. So over. Uh, so that was uh, some interesting stuff last night. More ahead on this Wednesday edition of Sports Club when we come out of this hour break. We'll talk some Auburn basketball as they get set for Virginia Tech tonight. Also at 5.15, Joe Bartle of Rotowire will join us. Talk some fantasy football. Get near the fantasy playoffs. I think a week or two away from the fantasy playoffs. We'll talk to Joe about that. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620, WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday. Coming up in just a few minutes, Joe Bartle of Rotowire will join us. He'll talk some fantasy football, National Football League with us. 
But before we get too deep into this segment, I want to go ahead and announce a giveaway opportunity. We have two free tickets to Auburn women's basketball as they take on Clemson tomorrow inside of Neville Arena. First caller right now to 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 wins two free tickets to Auburn and Clemson in women's basketball tomorrow night in Neville Arena. Of course, Auburn-Clemson was the WNIT matchup for the Tigers uh, that took out Auburn after a close loss to Clemson. Uh, And so have the opportunity for a rematch there. Auburn also has a Clemson transfer on the roster. Uh, And so that will be an interesting one as Coach Jay gets going here in year number three. Guys, we also want to talk some Auburn men's basketball right now uh, as Virginia Tech in the uh, maiden ACC-SEC challenge tonight. We've talked a little bit with some of our callers about it. Auburn favored by eight and a half tonight. What do you see in this one, and what do you want to see out of Auburn? Yeah, I mean, I think this will be a good one. I think it'll be an interesting one. I think uh, the way um, Ferg really laid it out was was pretty perfect. Uh, you know, they're they're good in all three phases of the game, um, or uh, you know, offense and defense, all three phases of the game. Look at me. Yeah, they're um, good. They're good at referees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're they're good at offense and defense. They're they've got the experience. They they've uh, they can shoot. They've got a good big man. So they they. They're going to present a lot of challenges, so um, it should be a good one. I think I like the line of Auburn being favored by eight, um, and I think that um, you know I, I'm I'm looking to see again. I, I'm just looking to see defense. I think I'm looking to see defense against true Power Five opponents. Um, I thought you know the game against Baylor, the first game of the season, was okay as a testament to the defense of how it could be. Um, and then obviously against the lower opponents, you know, obviously the, you know, that's just, it shows that you can defend, but it's not, you're not show it's not, it doesn't show that you can defend against these high level, um, you know, getting closer to uh, elite players that, um, you'll see on a more consistent basis in sec play. So, uh, I think that's something that I want to look out for. And then can, can you avoid, uh, avoid a scoring drought as much as possible? Um, you know, in the I think it was the St. Bonaventure game. I I think it was where Auburn didn't score for about five plus minutes, um, if I remember correctly. Maybe it was the St. Bonaventure game. Maybe maybe it wasn't. Um, but and so they they struggled to get some scoring going. Uh, obviously against Alabama A uh, and M as well in the second half. They also kind of got into a bit of a lull. Um, so uh, complete halves. I think that's really where. Uh, what I want to see if if Auburn can put a put together a complete game um, because that's something Bruce has talked about is is struggling to put put together complete games. Uh, they've played good halves, good first half, a good second half, uh, in, in other games, but not a full complete good game that he's happy with uh, from start to finish. So I think that's really something that I'm looking for uh, from this team tonight. Tom, what about you? Uh, so my biggest thing is uh, is consistency and uh i want to see auburn get off to a hot start uh i felt like they've done a little bit better job getting to a better start than this year than some of the games where it feels like it's taken them a while to kind of get the the engine going but my thing is uh, don't uh, play at that high level that we have seen them play at but there's been times this year that 
they will be playing at a high level, and then it just it for little spans of the game it just goes away, and they get very very sloppy. They make very lazy passes, um, very uh, bad decisions with some of their passing, with some of their times to uh, when to dribble, when not to dribble, and they just get real real sloppy. Um, I'm afraid against a team like Virginia Tech, you can't have a span like that because the, Virginia Tech's the type of team that can take advantage of that. And if Auburn has a, a sizable lead, Virginia Tech can get right back into the game with that sloppy play, or they can really kind of put a hurting on Auburn and, and get a lead and kind of stretch things out. So Auburn needs to be consistent. We 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 have seen that they can play at a very very high level, and I I would like to see that the majority of the game instead of those those sloppy drop offs that seem to happen every single game. That uh, you know we. Uh, Alabama A and M, uh, the second half of that game. Yeah, Auburn's just running away with that, and then the second half is just very sloppy. Uh, the Southeastern Louisiana game, big lead, then all of a sudden got real sloppy, and it, you know they hit a few buckets, and it's like, oh crap, you know what are we doing here? They just be more consistent, get that high level of play, and and try to keep that same level going instead of having those big drop offs. For Virginia Tech, they've got three different players that. Uh, Auburn will mainly be dealing with uh, two guards, one post player. The post player is Lynn Kidd, who's averaging 16 points and eight rebounds a game, a 6'10 senior. Uh, so kind of the, around the same size as Janine Broom there. That's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, you've heard about Hunter Couture. He's been there for a while. He's absolutely a, a really good shooter. Uh, this team overall is a pretty good shooting team, uh, and he's averaged around 14 a game. Then they also have got Sean Padula, who's averaging right around 16 a game, uh, and he too uh, has been shooting the three ball very well, right around 40%. A couple of years ago in college, he shot it at 44.7%. So this team does have some shooters. They do have one established big there in Kid, uh, who will be an interesting matchup for Janai Broom. Uh, maybe a, a little bit of a dose of what's ahead for some of the, the guys that are physical. Yeah. In the SEC. Uh, that's a good test for him. Um, you know, and we talked a little bit about the free throw shooting earlier. We, we kind of focused on the broom dynamic. I think this team overall will be a better free throw team. I don't know what the exact number is at the moment, but I remember there was one game a couple games ago that it was like broom was 4 of 11. Maybe it was the Notre Dame. It was either Notre Dame or St. Bonaventure. One I, think it was, I think it might St. have been St. Bonaventure because he got fouled mm-hmm. a lot in that and game. And he was something like 4 fouled, of 11. He fouled out two of their uh-huh. bigs, both their bigs. He fouled them out. He was something like 4 of 11, and the rest of the team was like 11 of 12 yes. or something, something in there. So uh, when you look around, I know it's not a huge thing, but it can be from game to game. Uh, Hallway, good foul shooter. Chad Baker, Mazzara, smooth foul shooter. Denver Jones, good foul shooter. Williams is fine. Uh, Katie's generally fine. been pretty good. Yeah, uh, typically decent. Tra- haven't had a lot of Trey Donaldson free throws to really have a great no, feel for that. But yeah, he, but he, he, last season when he got to the line, he tends to be a pretty decent and confident uh, free throw shooter. So you know, I, I think this will be a better free throwing team. Obviously, is started out as a better three point team. Uh, and, again, just has a multitude of options that I think are just a little bit more efficient than, than what they've been what they've been doing. Uh, and, again, that's part of the reason for these first five games they've scored over 80 points. Yeah. Uh, talking about the foul shooting and everything, the other thing that I would very much like to see in this game is the uh, referees keep the whistle out of their mouth a little bit. 
Oh, that's me every day. Yeah, <laughs> that's me every day. Yeah, and, I, I, well, I like and the play. chances of that happening oh, are yeah. slim to none. Well, and, and so. it's because Auburn does play a very physical style of basketball on defense. They sure. they try to get up on you and harass you, and and that leads to some of those fouls because they do play so aggressively. And so, listen, if Auburn if Auburn's just hacking a dude, then sure, call foul. Yeah. But I mean, it's some of the ticky tack stuff that it's like mm, man you know it's kind of just college basketball now. yeah yeah college yeah. basketball is a very unevenly officiated yeah. sport it just it just is um uh, you, you watch a couple of these holiday tournaments and i did last week hmm. battle for atlantis maui and and some of the the, the difference in how games were called uh was staggering but for the most part Again, the, the the constants that remain, they want to allow more like that in the NBA, a more of a freedom of movement. And then secondly, uh, you're not going to get many charge calls if you're just standing there trying to help side defense. I like that. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm not – I mean, I, I want to see it play out more, but I'm just I'm just saying that, like, that is, that is a tool that you used to have defensively, and now that is going to be a blocking foul more times right. than not. So really the, the main charges are going to be push-offs, discards, elbows, that sort of stuff, basically mm. all offensive player control type of stuff. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it is it is easier to defensively foul than I think yeah. it's ever been. Well, and it, the thing is, and I, I get those, you know, the, the charge blocks, different things like that. I mean, when you're banging around on the inside, I, I think the ones that, that bother me the most are those that are out away from the basket and it's just it's the the reach in you know just it's like man i mean ah, yeah i i get it it's a reach in foul but i mean some of those just get so ticky tack it's like yeah. uh, i mean it's like the guy can't even do anything defensively out away from the basket and it seems like auburn just gets so many of those and, and i that's the thing i i hate when those games and i, I know you do too but Teams bringing it down the floor, and before anything ever even sets up, a whistle's blown. And it's like Jesus, you know, double bonus, both you know, teams. Yeah, six like, minutes. I mean, left come on! It's like that, nobody's done anything yet. I mean, they literally are bringing the ball down the court, and all of a sudden there's a whistle, and it's like, I mean, good lord. There's some things that I mean, refs can try to be a little bit lenient on. And now again, if it's something egregious, I mean, if it, if if it's just legit, then sure, you have to call it. You can't just have a free for all out there, but. It just—it feels like there's so many whistles out away from the basket for just very minimal things that are like, I mean, you really don't have to call that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I don't want to see. Though I'm, I, I get so tired of it just being a whistle fest before a play even happens, and it's you know, you can't yeah. get any sort of rhythm or anything like that when when the whistles just keep causing the ball to go out of bounds or getting you into bonus. We need to go to our next timeout because on the other side of this break, Joe Bartle of Rotowire will join us. We'll switch things up with some NFL fantasy football talk with Joe Bartle. Coming up next, you're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with me here here on this Wednesday evening. Uh, TP Hammock running the board taking your phone calls with that. Let's go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We welcome on Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire back uh, after a week uh, off from the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Joe, I hope you had a very happy Thanksgiving. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. Hopefully uh, the holidays were wonderful you guys as well, too. It was, it was great to have football on uh, Thursday, Friday, and, of course, Sunday. And with six teams on by this week, I'm actually hoping we'll get better football than whatever we watched on Thursday and Friday, which was really bad games besides my Packers. I was about to say, Joe, I, I, you were you have been incredibly low. And I'm not saying it wasn't always <laughs> fair, but you have been incredibly low on the Packers, and they're now they're now in that beautiful in-the-picture graphic of the NFC playoffs. So, I mean, it, it, they're, they're making improvements, man. Yeah, not only am I uh, thinking they're in the picture, I actually think they will make the playoffs. Uh, which is something I never would have thought, certainly a month ago, but even uh, during stretches over the past two or three weeks, it's like, oh, great, great. Um, wins and losses doesn't really matter. The season was going to be washed, but you wanted to see improvement from Jordan Love, and I thought we saw that. I thought we saw play-calling improvement. Um, I'm, I'm still – I think it's just been years and years of uh, complete turmoil at defense that has me convinced something is going to go and the, you know, the other shoe is going to drop, but even the defense – has looked pretty good, but really look at the rest of the season schedule for the Packers, and while it's going to be a difficult win, by no means do I think they will beat the Chiefs uh, in Lambeau this Sunday night, but so long as they get one of uh, the Vikings-Buccaneers game or and Vikings is in Minnesota and provide they win a Week 18 against the Bears, I think that schedule 9-8 uh, and gets the last spot in the NFC, and they play the Panthers and they play the Giants yet as well, too, so there are some wins yet on the table for the Packers that I actually do think they're going to sneak in and get obliterated by the 49ers, but they will sneak in uh, to the playoffs. Hey, we love to, to watch our team play an extra game of football, even if uh, e- even if we know it might not go well. So, Joe, let's uh, let's look at some of these storylines as we head into another week. Uh, there are a couple of surging teams that are very interesting in the AFC, uh, playing with the Broncos and Texans game. Mm. Uh, C.J. Stroud has continued to not show any sort of drop-off here in this rookie season, while the Broncos have just turned absolutely everything around since uh, week four or five. Uh, I don't know if there's a necessarily a particular fantasy uh, implication in this game, or uh, I know we've asked about the the Broncos surge in recent weeks too. But just what do you think of these two surging surging teams? I, I'm glad you brought this game up because it really is intriguing to me, and in a lot of same ways that the Saints and Falcons was last week, and it ended up being kind of a dud. And I don't think either team is very good, but uh, really decides what is going to happen in the NFC South in the next couple weeks. I, I do think this Texans Broncos matchup is going to be probably the bigger decider come Week 17, Week 18. I think the tiebreakers between those two teams are really going to matter for one of those last playoff spots. And I know the NFL would love to see C.J. Stroud in there and have the Texans be relevant for the first uh, time in a while. But I, I just would be surprised if this is a game the Broncos lose. For as great as Stroud has been, I think the one advantage the defense of the Broncos has is the secondary play, specifically Patrick Sertan. And I, I, I think that defense can do enough in the way – the Broncos really ball control like the Seahawks last year. They can beat bad teams um, pretty effectively with that game plan. I, I believe the Broncos are an equally bad team. Like I don't think they're especially fun to watch. I don't think Russell Wilson has suddenly returned to his Seahawks glory. It still feels like a very 
lesser version of them, but they're winning games with their defense and with the running game, and I, I think that's where the Texans could struggle. So this is in obviously in Houston, but I think the Denver Broncos win this. And uh, from a fantasy perspective, Stroud's rest-of-season schedule actually is pretty difficult. He might just be good enough, and he might, uh, in this up the system, still be completely fine, be a top-five fantasy quarterback. But if you have him, and especially this being the week of the trade deadline for a lot of folks in fantasy, I wouldn't be opposed to trading C.J. Stroud if you could get some sort of value at running back or receiver or tight end, especially considering he was widely available on waivers. Like You could probably have picked him up and might have better starting options. So I would at least consider trading Stroud if I had some good offers out there. And then looking at the Jets, um, Joe, obviously Aaron Rodgers has just been activated with the 21-day window to come off IR, all these things with the Achilles injury. Um, but I, I do want to ask you, do you really think that he's going to come back and play? Like, do you think that's something that actually has a chance of happening? Because it could affect, you know, kind of the later end of the season with players like Garrett Wilson and, and how that receiving core goes along. So uh, just kind of what do you think about Aaron Rodgers and his chances of actually coming back from this Achilles injury? Yeah, uh, Aaron Rodgers and I are pretty similar in the sense that uh, neither is going to play for the Jets this season. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm incredibly confident that there, there's just no way. I don't think the Jets win any of these next three games. And, of course, he's been activated. He has a 21-day window to end up playing. But just because you have been activated to practice does not mean you could play. And right. Rodgers has been saying it now for a couple of weeks that if the team is in contention, I think the Jets are more in contention for a top-five draft pick than they're going to be uh, from a playoff perspective. So, no – I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to play. I, I think this has been an intentional thing for a while. And he has been, I'm, I'm not even saying this is a negative, Rodgers really throughout the duration of his career, but especially the latter stages, like 30 and onward, has been very unique in finding ways to motivate players, motivate teams. Uh, and I, I can say this instantly as a Packers fan, I, I think this has been a motivational ploy to, to try to get the Jets to play better, to continue to rally around Zach Wilson, that there's going to be, um, the Calvary is going to return at some point. And, I would be worried as a fan of Aaron Rodgers if he were to try out there behind that offensive line with the injury that he had. But I, I think this is a motivational tactic, and unfortunately uh, they just rode with Zach Wilson for too long, and I don't believe, I actually think Tim Boyle is significantly worse than Zach Wilson. So no, I, I don't think Rodgers plays this season. Uh, unfortunately for fantasy managers, have Garrett Wilson. Jamar Chase is kind of in the same boat. They have the upside you know, to get 100 yards, to get touchdown, you know, to have some of that junk time production, but the it's it's just it's, it's uh, the the ceiling I should say is completely handicapped now at this point in both those guys' players. Joe, I know that let's let's go to the game of the week here taking place in the NFC between the Bucks and Panthers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the 49ers <laughs> and Eagles. Uh, these two teams, the prohibitive NFC favorites coming in the season. I'm not sure a lot's changed unless uh, people are convinced that Dallas is not going to have the dramatic dramatic bow out of the postseason. Uh, so when you're looking at this matchup, Philly, I mean, clearly the best record in the league. Big win against Kansas City. Big win against Buffalo last week. San Francisco had the the three weeks in a row where it was just going off the tracks, and Purdy was, you know, the market was adjusting to him. How will he fare? How will his weapons fare uh, in a game at Philadelphia? So I do the the big betting sheet. That's what I've called it now, uh, and I've done it now for every every week for the entire season. So we've gone now picking against the spread, uh, picking over-unders for all 12 weeks, which has been a lot of fun. You can find that on my Twitter if you really care. It's JB Fantasy Sports. But I, I bring this up to say I've never seen a more suspicious line than the Niners favor by three at Philadelphia. 
when Philadelphia has the best record, they just came up a great win against the Bills, who I, I actually thought that was another one where uh, no idea why the market had the Eagles' only four-point favorites over Buffalo when Buffalo looked so bad, and the market ended up being correct for, for a lot of those instances. This is one of the more suspicious lines I've seen Vegas have the entire season. And Vegas is Vegas because they've made money on these specific things. So that the Niners are favored has me wondering, like, is there an injury you don't know about? Is Jalen Hurts' knee thing? Did that start acting up again? I know there's that stat that, you know, when Lane Johnson plays, the Eagles are uh, like 750 win percentage, then uh, under 500 or close to 500 when he doesn't play. Well, I think Lane Johnson will be available, so it can't be that. I don't know why Vegas has the Niners favored by three. I would sooner think it's a reversal, and they're never wrong about these things. So that alone has me nervous. But just if I'm looking on paper, I understand the Eagles' defense. It hasn't been as good um, as past seasons, but it's, it's still competent enough. have got plenty of players, plenty of veterans. And the Eagles' offense is more than capable of attacking this Niners' defense. I know they look good with Chase Young now here, but they have warts as well, too. So I'm, I'm shocked by this. I, I'm, I have picked the Eagles. Uh, plus three, I think the Eagles went outright. And you're right, uh, the beginning of the season was Eagles, 49ers. That has not changed. I think the Cowboys will curb stomp whatever NFC South winner ends up coming uh, as the 4-5 matchup, and then we'll see. Uh, the one downside is do we think the Lions really are competitive in the NFC? And I, I didn't think they were going to be competitive entering the year. They are certainly better than I thought they would be. But it's the level in which the Eagles and 49ers are playing right now that has them among the Super Bowl favorites for a reason. And I, I, I don't really think the Lions trajectory or the Cowboys, whatever they do, or anybody else really changes that. Joe, looking at the Miami Dolphins, uh, they're, they're backfield right now. Uh, what's the situation there, uh, if you're a fantasy owner? Where, where, do, you, where do you lean looking at, uh, at that situation right now if you're trying to figure out the running back situation? Yeah, so it's Raheem Mostert all the way. And I, I want to take this time to talk about uh, Bertoware's strength of schedule tool, which uh, I don't know if you guys are, are looking ahead of that stuff in your fantasy leagues or the listeners are, but uh, if you are trying to acquire people for a playoff push, we actually have that on the site where you can look up, hey, from a ranking the PPR perspective or just standard half-point PPR, we have it all set based off of how teams have played this season. We also have some data and stats in there. That's incorporating some bad luck measures into it, too, or just – different schematic things, because I think that the base idea is, oh, well, you know, let's just say uh, Broncos are ra- uh, rated 31st and the Chargers are rated 29th, so therefore the Chiefs, who play in both, uh, should have one of the better ones. Well, no, it doesn't work like that. You, like, beginning season week one, defense does alter from week 12, and we have some data that kind of uh, figures into that. So the Dolphins, I think, were either fourth or fifth uh, in terms of best rest of season schedule for Raheem Mostert and company, and I think that's where it kind of starts off. But... Devon A. Chan, he's been banged up. He'd just been activated off an injury reserve last week, then had the knee injury almost immediately. Um, you had Selvin Ahmed, who had replaced Jeff Wilson's number three back. That matters because the Dolphins have been in so many blowout opportunities. Well, he's now done for the season. Jeff Wilson returns uh, as a viable guy that, if you are in deeper leagues, matters. I would sooner assume Raheem Mostert, um, rest of the season is clearly a must start, and that you could get Devon A. Chan involved in deeper leagues, but I just get a little bit nervous, um, especially for a smaller guy who's so reliant on speed. A knee injury to that extent would make me uncomfortable, uh, especially as we really get to go time 
uh, in the fantasy playoffs in the coming weeks. Well, see, Joe, the, the reason this is being brought up right now is <laughs> may or may not, like as this conversation was starting about 10 minutes ago, maybe or maybe not there was a Devin H. Achain and George Pickens for Kyron Williams trade. Maybe that maybe oh. <laughs> maybe that happened. I'm just just according to my source. Interesting, and of course, Kyron Williams has been like the darling of the fantasy community. Is is Takua for the first couple weeks of the year, and then we're going to end with a different Rams player in Kyron Williams, who just gets activated off injured reserve in his own right. I, I would sooner take the Kyron Williams side of that deal, especially if you need a running back. I'm not convinced the new change at offense coordinator makes George Pickens viable, and that really actually is, I think, the linchpin for that deal to be um, closer to a 50-50 split. I just think Kenny Pickett sucks. Like, I, I don't <laughs> think he's the best quarterback. I, I think um, we, get, we get to watch so many uh, Tim Boyles and Tommy DeVitos of the world that we kind of get like, oh, you know, Kenny Pickett Steelers are winning. Like, no, that guy is awful. There's going to be four or five quarterbacks drafted this year that I think play better and are more competent at quarterback than Kenny Pickett is. So no matter if it's you or I calling plays, there's a deficiency at the person throwing the ball to George Pickens that you just can't overcome. So I, I think that's kind of the downside uh, to that kind of deal. But, you know, so I get worried that the pumpkin will kind of turn around with Kyron Williams, too. At some point, if Matthew Stafford were to get injured or Cooper Cup or Nakua were to get limited to the extent that they can't play anymore, there's so much extra work getting put on Kyron Williams already that uh, it would make me nervous. It would certainly make me nervous, but you, you cannot deny – what he has done really over the past six, seven games now, that's a large enough sample size that it's uh, he clearly is one of the top fantasy options, I think, every week moving forward. He's Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire joining us today on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. Joe, before we let you get out of here, uh, just real quickly, as you said, trade deadlines here, also just a couple weeks from playoffs. Uh, give us one or two players that you think are kind of flying under the radar that have better value than I think the, the at-large community is giving them credit for. Yeah, we talked about on the Tuesday Word Aware podcast. You can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Jaden Reed, Packers receiver, I know, I'm, I'm home or take right here, was still available in 45 or 46% of the leagues on Yahoo. And, you know, that could be even different on NFL.com leagues or ESPN, but that he's available in 30% of leagues, even in 10 team formats. Jaden Reed has clearly developed into the number one receiver for the Packers. They've schemed things for him. He's still getting running opportunities involved, too, on jet sweeps and stuff. And I, had mentioned at the top of this segment here, their rest of the season schedule is really good. Say what you want about will they beat the Vikings in Minnesota? Can they beat the Packers in Chicago? Or I'm sorry, can they beat the Bears in Chicago? There's, those are still really good defensive matchups. The only one rest of the season uh, that would really be concerning to me is this Chiefs matchup. Rest of the way, you can play Jaden Reed. I think you can play Christian Watson at times, Romeo Dobbs, but that's one of them certainly. Uh, and I think now, moving forward, Zach Moss becomes another fantasy relevant option, too, with Jonathan Taylor likely sidelined for at least two to three weeks. Uh, he was available in at least, I think it was 45% of leagues uh, prior to Tuesday when the news dropped. That probably changed now, too. But you can confidently start Zach Moss and say he will be a, a running back one on your team moving forward. He's Joe Bartle of Rotowire joining us today on Sports Call. Joe, again, how can our listeners uh, find and consume all of your work at, at Rotowire? Yeah, we talked about JB Fantasy Sports on Twitter every Friday. I'm on SiriusXM Radio Channel 87, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern. We're always talking game previews, uh, player props as well, if you're into that. Uh, and then anywhere you listen to the podcast, it's the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Every Tuesday, we do the waiver wire stuff. A lot of uh, like top names, like I mentioned, Jaden Reed, that are probably not available in your deeper formats. 
we definitely drilled on in there. A.T. Perry, remember the name, uh, could be the number one receiver for the Saints this week if Alave can't play, Rashid Shahid can't play. That's a big match against that Lions defense. Probably uh, a loser leave town match for the playoffs, too. So uh, a lot of different ways you can find my content. He's Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire joining us today on Sports Call. Joe, as always, we certainly appreciate the time. Uh, we wish you well in the Packers endeavors. I know it's a tough one this weekend, but uh, as you said, the Seahawks, Vikings starting to leak a little bit. Uh, so we wish your Packers well, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks for having me on. That's Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire joining us on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. We're going to head to another timeout. Back with more right after this. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoyne, Tom Peavy, Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday. T.P. Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls. Last 10 or 15 minutes of the show here today. Appreciate Joe Bartle of Rotowire for joining us as he does each and every Wednesday throughout the football season. I uh, had some fancy things to talk about with Joe there uh, as the fancy season, again, gets a little closer to an end. Uh Regular season for college football ends this past weekend. We still got another, what, six weeks of NFL football, though. Uh, so we uh, still got a good bit of that. Uh, we haven't talked uh, much NFL this week. We usually do that on Thursdays. Uh, but but certainly a couple big Eagles wins in a row. And, uh, again, that Eagles 49ers game is going to be the game to watch out for uh, this weekend as uh, that's, that's, again, the two projected – uh, NFC Championship game teams, and it was last year. So we'll uh, we'll see how that rematch uh, occurs here this weekend. Uh, but again, getting a little closer to the end of the show now. Auburn, Virginia Tech coming up tonight in basketball ACC SEC Challenge. I uh, got some other big ones tonight, like North Carolina and Tennessee. I believe the SEC leads by game headed into today. I have to double check that. Uh, it's I again. I think that. It was four to three or something like that yesterday. I'll double check it, but we were we were again having some observations earlier. Uh, Notre Dame, an opponent of Auburn's uh, from earlier this year, obviously they did not fare well against South Carolina, and so South Carolina and Ole Miss are actually the last two remaining undefeated SEC basketball teams. So that's been a little bit wild. 
uh, to look at so far. And uh, I did confirm uh, Georgia Tech beat Mississippi State. That they did. South Carolina beat Notre Dame. LSU got thumped by Syracuse. Kentucky thumped Miami. Missouri beat Pitt. Ole Miss thumped NC State. And Clemson beat Alabama. So, yes, the SEC was 4-3 yesterday. Uh, today, again, you've got seven more, so you can tie it. It's North Carolina hosting Tennessee. Uh, Texas A&M going to Virginia. Florida going to Wake Forest. Duke going to Arkansas, Auburn hosting Virginia Tech, Boston College going to Vandy, and Georgia going to Florida State. So Auburn's is definitely one uh, the SEC wants to make sure they win because they're going to be underdogs uh, against Duke, certainly, uh, against Florida State. They're going to be a pick-em in the North Carolina-Tennessee game, so uh, there are some interesting ones there. Uh, And I like challenges like these guys. I know that, again – Auburn not get something that was the most appealing thing uh, in the world. But that always changes year to year. So hopefully uh, next year they'll get a a better opportunity. Um, But uh, still, I I do like challenges like this. And I I like it more, too, because they used to do the SEC Big 12. That used to be in the middle of conference play. Yeah, it was very random. I just didn't know how I felt about that. Interrupts the flow, I feel like, of what's going on within conference play. So I like that this is early in the season when it went during your non-conference stuff, because I did feel like it was always weird. You're like looking at the schedule and it's like, huh, Auburn plays Baylor? Yeah. Like, Iowa random. State yeah, one year. Like, yeah. like, yeah. Played random. Halliburton and Iowa State. Right. Like that, played Oklahoma. Oh, no, no, Alabama odd. played Oklahoma. No, no. no. Did Auburn, Auburn play the, Oklahoma? Auburn played Oklahoma. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That I was, think uh, Alabama two. played Oklahoma too. Yeah, yes. they did. I that remember was, watching Alabama and uh, Oklahoma play. Alabama and Oklahoma was last year. Uh, Auburn and Oklahoma was two years two ago. Two years ago. and Kessler. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah we, we put 100 on them. So, yeah, no, I like that the challenges earlier – uh, and again, it makes sense contract-wise because obviously the ACC and the SEC are more aligned on the ESPN networks, right. whereas the Big Twelve mm-hmm. and the uh, the Big Ten are now on Fox, CBS, uh, etc. And again, I, I tell you what, just looking at this basketball team so far, I know you were talking about a couple of things you want to see improved, consistencies that you want to see improved on. Uh, but again, I, I just think that this team has an offensive ceiling yeah. so far beyond. Oh, yeah, I think it's already better than last year's team, but the ceiling for it in terms of offense is just so high with how much more they're moving it, with how efficient the opportunity for the role players have. Uh, I think that this offense – I think me and my dad used to always watch Carolina basketball, and we'd grade them on if they had a 40-point half or not. Did they at least get 40 points? Because they, they always had great offensive teams. Mm-hmm. felt like they always scored 80 points a game. And that's how I want to start grading Auburn offense this year. Did they have a 40-point half or not? Did they right. score 80 for the game? I think those are the barometers for them because I really think this offense could be special. Yeah, it, <clears throat> the offense has shown that it, that it is special. And, uh, I mean, you have some shooters. Uh, you, you're not as scared with this offense to get into a, a three-point shoot fest as you were last year. You know, that team last year, I mean, if you, you were just like, please stop shooting threes. This one – I you know I I'm still not ready to say just fill it up but you know you have enough confidence that you feel like that these guys can get super red hot from back there, um, but yeah just I mean their general the ball movement the the way that they can the way that they can get the ball around the perimeter still get it into the inside if they if they need to uh, one thing though another big improvement that needs to be made is on the offensive glass. 
they need to be able to get a lot more uh, second chance points uh, than than you're seeing. Um, but I, I think that's I think that's just kind of the way this team is built. I think this team is not going to be built as a really great rebounding team. They they're just not. Um, but uh, they they're shooting the ball at a much better clip than we're used to seeing. You just hope that they can they can keep that going, especially in your own home gym where you shoot every day. Uh, just talking about tonight's game against Virginia Tech. I mean, you're hoping that Auburn can get hot because you know that Virginia Tech has that ability to shoot lights out if, if they get the chance, and so you need to be able to keep up with that. I wonder what the crowd's going to be like tonight because uh, – Well, all is students they, are still here. Yeah. So. Well, well, it's not about that. It's, it's about the others, it, it's the week. Else. It's a weekday night. Late fifteen, late um, against an unknown quantity team. Obviously, if this was Georgia, who people despise, that's easy. If it's a top twenty-five team in the SEC, that makes sense. Uh, But I don't know if people know how to feel about an unranked Virginia Tech team. Yes, they're in the ACC. That conference has been synonymous with basketball for a long time, but they still don't have a number by their name. Right. Uh, it, again, if it was Virginia, yeah, I think I people would have won in blood. Thing. Yes, if uh, they were Virginia, packed out, no right. question. Virginia Tech, eh. You know, so I, I'm just curious about it. I, I don't have some bold prediction. I, I don't know how. I'm just curious to see uh, how how it's going to feel. But, yeah, I know the students are still here, so that, that, that part of it should be fine. But I, I The students are going to fill it up now. The rest of the arena, it's, yeah, that's, that's the part. That's what, that's what yeah. I'm wondering. Well, yeah. yeah that's the part but, I mean, they're not, they're not the – that the the rest of the arena is, I mean, you like to have it packed, but they're not the ones that make the big influence on hey, everything. Man. Is the it, kids that are right there on the can, court? I mean, it all it all matters. It can it can get seriously yeah. intense in there. No, no, oh no, 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 absolutely. But I'm just saying that the the kids, the student section that's right there on the floor, are are the ones that are going to have the biggest effect on things. Now, if they're not there, then that's like. Mm. Uh, the stuff up top, yeah. I mean, obviously you want it packed, but I, I don't. <clears throat> I, I think that there will be enough of a home court influence with the students being there, making the noise right on top of the players, and doing what they do. Uh, I would expect that's going to be packed up top. Is going to be kind of hit and miss, most likely. Yeah. Again, I, I still. Uh, I, 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 yes, that's the most important part of it. But also, again, I'm, I'm still. In a nine thousand seat arena, when only about fifteen hundred of them or a thousand of them are, are students, I can guarantee you this: on the the Alabama Clemson broadcast yesterday, the the fans in the the arena at Coleman was so dead that the announcer referred to it. He said it was like they were at a tennis match. Jay, yeah, yep. Jay, uh, I, I, Jay I don't think I don't think it's going to sound like a tennis match inside Neville Arena. I I think it's going to be rowdy, even if you're missing uh, some from the up top. It's still going to be a very rowdy. And loud atmosphere. And the other thing is, especially on the student side of things, they're coming off of just getting their hearts absolutely ripped out. I, I think they're looking for something to cheer for. And, and this is kind of that outlet now that football is pretty much done, except for a bowl game. They're they're ready to get in there and have something to go crazy for. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would definitely be – I know I've been trying to look uh, move on uh, from it, but, uh, yeah, I'd – yeah, and I'm just I'm just curious about it because it does have some ingredients to not be uh, as full as it could be. Right. 
Uh, and, agree. and people decidedly don't love the 8 o'clock stuff. And it's still true, like, not everybody that goes to Auburn basketball lives in Auburn, Opelika. So I literally can't yeah. even watch the game. <laughs> I have to go to sleep. I, uh, I won't even be there. So, I mean, yeah, you, you still got to be. Still got a rough uh, commute there if it's uh, you're leaving at 10.30 or something like that. But this night, Al will be there and uh, be excited for it and uh, not will not be reacting to it because, again, I'll be on press row. But um, looking forward to seeing the team play another real team. And uh, Auburn's, you never know, coming in the season. You can only read what's on the schedule. But Auburn's non-conference schedule can in, continues to be paved in my opinion, as a little easier than first thought uh, because Virginia Tech's already lost a couple, because uh, USC has already dropped out of the top 25, um, because Notre Dame just does, is just kind of lifeless. Uh, <clears throat> they are not good. Uh, you know, so, so Auburn needs to take advantage of all these uh, because they might not have as many quad one games out of this as they as they thought they would. I didn't realize Southern Cal had dropped out. Yeah, they already lost twice now. Who, Obviously, they who don't is have their superstar? Bron- well, they don't have Bron- – who's their other su- that superstar? Boogie Isaiah. Ellis. Oh, and uh, Isaiah Boogie. Collier, right? <clears throat> Boogie's, Boogie's a – I don't know. I mean, Boogie's their lead scorer. Right. I mean, I know yeah. he's very, yeah. very good, but I know Isaiah Collier, they talk about him because he was like the number one player in the nation, right? And, uh, big uh, recruit. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I just right. don't know what he's done this year. I mean, he, yeah, no, he's done well too. He's at yeah. 18 a game. Boogie's at 20. He's, he's pretty good. Yeah. So uh, he's supposed to be. He's it's he's their backcourt. Yeah, for he's sure. a he's a one and done. I but who have they lost much. to? Man, we're going way off the rails here because yes, we, we don't, are. We don't have Southern Cal for how- USC lost to Oklahoma 72 to 70. They beat in Seton Hall. Brown. They lost to UC Irvine, They're seventy wow. to sixty, and beat Bakersfield. Beat Kansas State. Kansas okay. State's okay. So yeah, Kansas we got State. a little while before that one. Yeah, a, uh, yeah, yeah. They couple weeks. On the, couple on the 17th, weeks. Yeah. The 17th. Also got Indiana coming up yep. here in, Indiana. in a few days oh, on the ninth. Yeah. Holiday hoops giving. Yeah. Yep. I'll be so, there. Hopefully, be there for that. I applied for a credential. Hopefully, yeah. I get approved. So Auburn's got some major conference teams here ahead for sure, but again, it starts with Virginia Tech and the ACC-SEC Challenge tonight. Final minute or so of the show. Time for a real quick nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Real quick, again, that ACC-SEC Challenge, number 10, Tennessee, number 17, North Carolina, 615 ESPN. Number 14, Texas A&M goes to Virginia, 615 ESPN2. Also at 615 ESPNU, Florida goes to Wake Forest, 630 NHL. It's the Detroit Red Wings, New York Rangers. That's on TNT. And at 815 on ESPN2, it is Virginia Tech visiting Neville Arena, visiting the Auburn Tigers. And that is Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. And that is going to do it for this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. Tom Peavy, thank you for being here today and throughout the week. Hope you have a good rest of your week, man. Yeah, man. Looking forward to the weekend and uh, looking forward to being back with you guys next Monday. Yes, sir. And then Cam Berry, thank you for being here. We'll see you again on Friday. See you on Friday. Again, that will do it for the show today. Reminder, coming up next, T.P. Hammock and host Brooks Childress of the High School Coaches Show with an hour program for you to update you on the high school playoffs as we get into semifinal action. We want to thank Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer as well as Joe Bartle of Rotowire for joining the show today and as always we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For T.P. Hammock running the board and Tom Peavy and Cam Berry, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Wednesday night and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.